0: Världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson Hoj, här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson Ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Vill jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, yeah. Karlsson Everybody, to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys, one Eric Carlson and their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as always, is your friend and mine, the fantasy hockey robot, the ad drop ace, the IPP MVP, Brian Com.
1: Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. What an episode we've got for you. This is our last official episode of 2018, that we may or may not get to squeeze another, but anyway, we're going to make this one count. As an early New Year's present or Christmas present. Do people give New Year's presents? Yeah, of
0: course. Why not? You give presents whenever you see your loved ones. You know, people always think, by the way, here's a hot take, Brian. Why don't people just get together with their loved ones all the time? If they love getting together with their loved (laughs) ones so much, why do they have to wait until this one time of the year? But hey, that's something that you could take home with you. And like Brian said, you know, we're going to see if our listeners are being naughty or nice. And if they're nice, we might drop another bonus episode before the new year but in the meantime brian a lot has gone down in the past week of nhl action and we're going to try to give you all the best advice that we can going into this nhl holiday break so you'll be ready to go for your four-day matchup next week on yahoo yeah it's not a two-week matchup eh? it's a four-day matchup thursday friday saturday sunday do your and most of the games are on thursday and saturday so there's a lot of value in getting a player who plays on friday plus there's only one game on sunday vegas arizona so uh, the whole matchup is gonna be decided in a couple days
1: stack up on friday guys early if you can like if there are bench players who you don't care that much about who aren't getting into your lineup thursday or saturday make the move now
0: don't wait yeah especially if you have weekly limits and you're listening to this live because by the time you listen to this tomorrow it's too late yeah you can make your move today but anyways okay brian let's First, mention, of course, that we are presented by DobberHockey.com. The NHL is taking a break. I will be very surprised if Dobber Hockey takes a break. They're updating their site every day. Great articles. Everything you need to know to be successful in fantasy hockey. You've got your daily ramblings. Plus, all the tools, right? I love it. frozen pools, or I guess they now call it frozen tools. But you've got your line combinations, your starting goalies, player profiles. Up to, like This is up-to-date line combinations. Like, I'm going to be looking as we record this episode. I'm going to be checking and seeing players' line combinations for the games happening as we speak. So it's a really great site. Check it out. DauberHockey.com. Brian, okay, let's get started. I want to start this episode with some outjuries because we have a bunch of fun one. What a nice way to start the year to get these gifts of players coming back after not having played a while. And of course, we've got to start in Boston. Patrice Bergeron, happy B-Day. He has returned from his rib slash collarbone injury yesterday, and he played his first game since November 16th. At the time when Bergeron got injured, he had 26 points in 19 games and was right among the top of league scoring. It's going to be tough for him to catch the top group now, but he's well on his way because he scored two goals and assisted on two others in the big 5-2 win over Nashville. So what a return for Bergeron. Not as exciting of a return today. Unfortunately, Boston played Carolina just this afternoon. No points for Bergeron, but three shots, uh, two blocks, four hits. So he's helping you in other categories. Uh, you know you're not going to get points from every day, but he'll make up for it with a four point game every once in a while to stay around a point per game. Or at least that's like what I guess I have to ask you. Though the interesting thing is Bergeron didn't just go back to play on his typical top line with Marchand and Pasternak. In his return, it was Danton Heinen that took Pasternak's spot along with Marchand and Bergeron on the top line. And Heinen also got some top power play time as it looked like he bumped David Krejci from the top power play at least at the start of the third period. I'm talking about for Saturday's game. He assisted on a Bergeron power play goal. I am actually now going to check in real time what the Boston Lions were today to see if that held because that would be quite the sweet spot for Danton Heinen who's been a big nobody all year and guess what he's going to continue to be a nobody because I'm looking at the lines for today and they went back to Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak maybe they switched things part way through since they ended up losing this game five to three so Brian I guess at this point my question becomes moot Danton Heinen was in a good spot for a game and now it looks like he's not so people probably should not be rushing to add him correct? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I guess it wasn't so surprising that he got moved out of that great deployment. Uh, He only had three points in his last 16 games, and that's not really a place to, a way to earn your keep on a top line in the league. Also, Elon, before we go any further, I just mentioned how Heinen did in Patrice Bergeron's absence. Let's kind of do a postmortem, right? Because we said when Bergeron was injured, like, this is bad news for everybody. Uh, All Bruins, like, are going to be affected by this. But... I have to say, uh, David Pasternak, 19 points in the 16 games Bergeron was out. Marchand, 16 points. Krug, 15 points. Uh, So those three guys didn't miss a beat. And one guy who took full advantage, David Krejci, with 14 points in 16 games while Bergeron was out.
0: Yeah, so there you go. The Bruins, these these guys are superstars, right? David Pasternak and Brad Marchand are amazing players, and obviously they are benefiting from playing with a great player like uh, Patrice Bergeron, but obviously they don't need him. So good call to look into that, Brian. And yeah, David Krejci, he's obviously the guy that takes the big hit. Now that Bergeron is back, especially if he's not on the top power play. So again, looking at today's lines in real time, the top power play. So Danton Heinen was there. So there's something there for you. If you want to grab a top power play guy on Boston? Those guys like Ryan Donato and Bacchus have been there and not produced that much. But yeah, so it was Bergeron, Heinen, Marshand, Pasternak, Torrey Krug on the top power play. And then the second line was Krejci with Heinen and Joachim Nordstrom, though obviously he's just keeping the seat warm for Jake DeBrusque, who didn't end up coming back today. There was uh, reports that he might, but no, but probably after the holidays, you'll have Heinen, Krejci, and DeBrusque on the second line, and Bergeron, Marshand, Pasternak. And at that point, do people have to just give up on David Krejci? Like, he was on such an amazing run. He was obviously really benefiting playing with Marshand and Pasternak, but at this point, should people who added him be ready to drop him now that he's back in the second line? Or do they have to hold him... Just, you know, until he slows down for a serious amount of time. Like He's always been decent in fancy, even from that second line. He's a pretty solid 50 to 60 point guy, depending on what run he's on. But can't imagine you could expect any more than that. It's as if the, the hotness of his streak is going to somehow stick with him, even if he's not playing with Marchand and Pasternak.
1: So here's the thing, like I sort of uh, set you up here or, or anyone up to think that Krejci's only been good because of Pasternak being out. Let's remember that Krejci was doing quite okay before Bergeron, Uh, was out of the lineup too. Did I say Pasternak was out of the lineup? I meant Bergeron. Uh, Krejci uh, had two goals and 14 assists for 16 points in 19 games before Bergeron and exited the lineup. Uh, Krejci also had six power play points in that spin and he was mostly with Jake DeBrusque and then the third piece was either either Danton Heinen or Joachim Nordstrom for that uh, pre-Bergeron injury run. So don't go dropping David Craigie thinking he's out of luck now that Bergeron's back still holds him, even if Pasternak's not his line mate, uh, and see if he can ke- keep putting up points with a, a hopefully healthy DeBrusque. One guy, oh, DeBrusque, Elon, I think someone's going to give us heck for saying DeBrusque a couple times. De- Jake, De Bru- De- Jake DeBrusque. Uh, one player. They're
0: definitely going to give us more heck for saying they're going to give us heck, Brian. <laughs> That's the corniest thing I've ever don't, heard.
1: Don't you know the famous All-American Rejects song gives you a uh, heck?
0: Oh, You already blew it, Brian. I blew
1: my own spot there. Now uh, we
0: have to put an explicit <laughs> warning on this episode.
1: <laughs> uh, the one Bruin who you might have added in a deeper league that you do definitely want to drop, who did well with Bergeron out, uh, David Backus. He had eight points in 16 games, which is nothing to write home about. But three of those points were on the power play because he was seeing some top unit time. Uh, Expect that to not last very long with uh, or well, it's already over, but expect it to not happen nearly as frequently uh, now that the Bruins have an almost fully healthy lineup.
0: Yeah, how much are the Bruins paying David Backus? Again, like a lot of money, right? I remember there was that one crazy summer where all these players got signed to big contracts. Uh, Backus, uh, Louis Erickson, I believe was another one. Like there was like, it was a really funny summer and a lot of those contracts are looking really bad right now brian by the way i kind of need to call you out on something maybe it's a little too early in the episode for me to start putting you on blast but uh-huh. i'm pretty sure when david Krejci was on that hot streak before bergeron got injured i brought him up on the show and you were saying to me no i don't think he's gonna be able to keep this up it's no big deal now you're saying that you should hold on to him because you w- can expect him to continue that great run from before what's up with that
1: Fair, fair. Actually, I, I feel like you are misremembering a little bit, though. Like, I think you were looking at him as a 60 plus guy. And I was like, ah, like 55, 60 is kind of his wheelhouse. And if anywhere, he's going down. Uh, but he certainly has held much closer to your projection from that time than mine. Uh, and Bergeron being out, I think, helped him maintain that incredible start he's had that didn't look entirely sustainable, but also if I recall my own take correctly, didn't look entirely unsustainable either. Like we thought this was going to be a productive season from David Krejci. It's just a matter of how, uh, how productive. And so, uh, yeah, so far anyone who's added him and kept him uh, has been very happy. I have added him and dropped him a couple times. So I'm not happy that I have not had him for this run. Also, Elon, just to answer your question that you started that question with David Backus is making $6 million for two more seasons after this one, Matt Bolesky, by the way, who was like one of the first like crazy UFA Day signings of his type, like where teams thought that someone like Matt Bolesky was going to blow up, uh, looking pretty reasonable now. I mean, not terribly reasonable, uh, but $3.8 million for another two years. So that mistake is almost over with, although Boston is still paying half of his salary while he plays with the New York Rangers. Elon, is Matt Bolesky even playing? with the new york rangers what's he doing this season
0: i don't know we'll we'll, we'll look it up in a second or maybe people could tweet at us and let us know if he's playing seen...
1: with the wolf pack in hartford 11 points in 18 games
0: since we're on Boston, of course, let's take a quick look into the goaltending drama that continues to keep us perplexed about what's going on and who's going to get the net for the rest of the season. Jaroslav Halak got three starts in a row before Rask got the net today versus Carolina. Halak won all three games and was spectacular in all of them. He shut out Montreal, beat Anaheim 3-1, stopped 28 of 30 in the 5-2 win yesterday. This was after a stretch of four kind of less impressive starts. He was 906 save percentage or less, and Rask got a good number of games, so it was kind of looking like Rask was taking over and Halak was struggling, and I was seeing on Yahoo, like a lot of people were dropping Jaroslav Halak, but those people who did that are definitely regretting it now, because Halak is the one on the hot streak, and Rask just had a pretty terrible game today, letting in five goals on 37 shots, only an 865 save percentage today against Carolina, so you've got to imagine Halak's going to get back in the net for the next game, so I feel like we're kind of back to where we were at the start of the season, where it seems like Halak is the one who's deserving of getting all of these starts moving forward brian how do you see this playing out you're the one who so famously suggested over the offseason last summer that halak has steal the job from tuka rask it looked like he had then it looked like he had it now it looks like he has again do you think we're going to keep on going back and forth or do you think at this point now if this is halak's job and we can say rask is the one be at best
1: Rask definitely did not do himself any favors today stopping yeah just 32 of 37 shots against when a team gives up two shorthanded goals, I wonder, like, I, I don't know whose fault that really lays blame with that. I think it doesn't really reflect too badly on the goalie generally, you know, like there's a, a blocked shot at the blue line and then there's an odd man rush the other way. So it's not usually a goal that a goalie uh, has a great chance on, but in any case, uh, so like, I'm just trying to weigh, uh, since Rask gave up two shorties today, whether that really should count against him or not, like he did face 37 shots against, um, in any case, uh, Rask had that run, uh, Starting five of seven games, it was the the most consistent starting run he'd had uh, just before this back to back. And uh, as a Halak owner in one league, I was definitely considering like I wonder if the Bruins are going Rask. The reason I held Halak through those five and seven where Rask started was that well, Rask just still was not standing out. Just two of those five starts were really good performances. Uh, one was about average. The other two were below average. I mean, Halak also hadn't been so impressive himself, but now he's got two consecutive great starts under his belt. Rask just blew it. I feel like the momentum is back in Halak's favor. And remember, uh, with Rask and Halak, like we're not going to read too much into these Saturday-Sunday starts because it was a back-to-back. So obviously Boston is going to split these two games. Uh, I still have the same feeling before, uh, as to who is going to be in the starters net more often the rest of the season, the Bruins would be happy if they could give Rass the net and let him run. But I don't think he can uh, uh, He can take it all the way. And Halak has been such a steady, reliable presence in net that I think he's curried more favor with the organization 30 games into the season than he had at the start of the year. And I think they're probably a little more likely to want to give, to, to give Halak some rope. Uh, rather than only Rask and saying that I'm actually going to update I'm going to take my almanac projection one logical step further and say that Yaroslav Halak is not only going to start more of the games the rest of the way but he is also going to be the Boston Bruins goalie in game one of the playoffs
0: Boom. I mean, at this point, that doesn't even seem like such a hot take, the way things have been going recently, and we'll see if we have to go back on our words or if we could just tell people. But uh, bottom line, if Halak is available as a free agent in your league, you want to grab him because we're talking about a goalie who's going to see a lot of starts on an amazing team, and he's lights out this year, like 930 plus save percentage, so you want to grab Jaroslav Halak. He should not be a free agent in any league. In my humble opinion okay speaking of teams that had an outjury last week and also have a goalie controversy let's talk about the pittsburgh penguins i know i we talk about the penguins a lot on this show but uh, they have interesting stuff going on and now we've got patrick horkfist who returned just like bergeron but that's where the similarities end as horkfist has been completely invisible no points and only three shots total in his three games including all zeros across the board aside from a block yesterday in pittsburgh's three nothing win over carolina so it's not even like pittsburgh's not scoring goals it's just horkfist isn't doing anything he did get his top power play. Back immediately, and it looks like he did finally bump Zach Aston Reese from the Malkin line yesterday. So it was Hornquist with Malkin and Dominic Sion. So that's good for Hornquist. It seems like his deployment should be okay. Brian, we have Horkvis in our joint league. We're going to likely lose this week, partly in thanks to Patrick Horkvis doing absolutely nothing for us. Also, maybe a bit due in thanks to Colin Miller being injured and us not being able to put him in IR. But anyways, let's not get too big into that. But I want to ask you about Patrick Horkvis. Should we be worried about this guy? Or do you expect him to get going again soon like he was before he got hurt? Like he had that cold stretch at the start of the year. Then he was looking good. Then he got injured. I was excited to get him back. And so far, it's been a huge, like, pfft, nothing fun at all.
1: No, it hasn't been fun for Hornquist owners since he's come back from injury. If anybody was clever enough to just keep him stashed in their IR and like sacrifice the ability to make moves while they wait for Hornquist to get up to speed, uh, they're happy. They're doing okay. They're not bothered by that. But the rest of us uh are. Uh for Hornquist, this just feels a lot like how things were at the start of the year for him right like he seems to kind of be in this pattern of doing nothing at all and then catching fire so I'm not going to give too much of a reaction to a quiet return from injury just yet like I don't love that Hornquist has had no shots in two of his three games back but I'm going to give him another couple games to get back on track especially now that he's back in a spot alongside Evgeny Malkin both at even strength and on the top power play unit and uh, thinking he can get his groove back eventually. I'm not ready to give up quite yet.
0: Okay, so we'll tell people if you have Hornquist, hold on a little longer. Maybe we'll check in in a week or two, or you can tweet at us at Keeping Carlson if we don't bring him up and you're starting to get conservative. We have to give him a bit more time. Maybe he's still shaking off some rust from the injury. No pun intended, because I do want to now talk about a much more exciting line on the Pittsburgh Penguins right now, which is the Crosby-Gensel-Rust line. All three have been all over the score sheet lately. And the most exciting, of course, for our purposes, is Brian Rust, who may still actually be available in your league, if people have been apprehensive to jump aboard after having seen this happen so many times in the past. Brian, how many times have we said on the podcast, wow, Brian Rust on the top line, he's on fire, but uh, do you think people should add him? And then I know you always tend to say, hey, sure, while well, he's on the Crosby line, why not? But don't expect it to last. And then a couple weeks later, we're like, okay, Brian Rust is off the line, drop him. Is, is this the same as all the times before? Or do you see something different happening right now? Maybe he'll earn this spot and hold it for a little bit. Like, he has 11 points in his last seven games. I feel like that's so, so much that so you just can't ignore it how fast should people be rushing to add rust at this point if they still can and like yeah do you think he can stick on this line long term like for the rest of the season or is this the kind of thing where a couple weeks from now we're going to be talking about horn back on the top line or someone else
1: it feels like it's the same story as usual for brian rust which is you can't count on him holding this spot on the top line, but when he's there, you want to hold him. Uh, there is another element though, to think about this time with Brian Rust that we haven't seen in his past trips to the top line. Uh, Elon, you mentioned that he, he's on this crazy run of 11 points in his last seven games. Eight of those 11 points have been goals, which would normally make me like, Oh, you know, he's still getting too many points and that's not great. Um, and think that, hey, it would be better if he was getting assists because that's more sustainable. It's more likely that he can assist on a Sidney Crosby goal than score his own. But Brian Rust is taking a whole lot of shots, which is helping him score these goals. He has 25 shots. This is a very unrust like number. 25 shots in his last seven games, including a four-game stretch where he picked up 20 Shots on goal. Uh, Russ' shooting percentages are still high, even with all those shots, like eight goals on 25 shots. Still unsustainable. But I'm going to forgive that unsustainable uh, goal scoring if he's still going to be putting like four or five shots on net every so often. Of course, that's already not been the case uh, with just one shot a couple games ago, uh, no shots in his last game. So keep an eye on that if you're getting excited about these shots. But it, the, his shots on goal, if he can keep doing that, there's at least an interesting element that helps him help his owners who are holding on to him in case he does get a point on line one. If he goes pointless in a night, it would be so nice if he could at least throw a few shots at his owner's way
0: right okay so but you are saying that people should grab him for as long as he's there right because you're playing with Crosby it's kind of like the same as our McDavid rule where maybe later on the show we're going to be safe to grab Jesse Pooey even though apparently he's already been off cut off the line but we'll get to that later but yeah it's just rust playing with Crosby you want to get him if you can
1: yeah exactly you might as well get the third piece on that line can we call these guys third wheels Elon I just I feel like that we should have a name for them by now
0: I guess if we're calling him a third wheel, then I guess we're considering Jake Gensel as like a fixture at this point, which I guess is fair. He's been there all season long. I keep saying playing with Crosby. Maybe I should get to the point where we're saying with Crosby and Gensel, like we say playing with McKinnon and, and Rantanen, or, you know, like, it, like Jake Gensel has been so, so good. I am not even I don't even have plans to bring up his numbers because he's just been so consistently great. Uh, maybe he gets a little bit hurt from being bumped off the top power play now that Hornfist is back, but I would not have any concerns if you're a Jake Gensel owner because this line with Crosby and Russ is going so well. And yeah, okay, so the third wheel, Brian Rust, Hold him or grab him while you can. And by the way, sorry everyone for the Chris Letang scare last episode. We talked about how he went day to day and I was being all like, oh, I've seen this before he's day to day. Then he's gone a month actually ended up not even missing a game or maybe he missed one game, but you know, the next day after we recorded the podcast, Chris Tang was back and doing amazing. He's up to 28 points in 34 games after his goal yesterday. So I, I actually was one of the sorry suckers who jumped on Oli Mata expecting him to maybe get some top power play time. And yeah, he got nothing and he's nothing. So obviously drop him if you added him. And now Just like with the previous team we talked about in Boston, let's talk about the goaltending situation. We talked about Matt Murray's 4-3 win over LA in his return last week. He followed that up with two gems this week, a 31 save 2-1 win over Washington on Wednesday, and then a 39 save shutout over Carolina yesterday. And this is the Carolina team that just scored five goals on Tuca Rask. So there you go. Case closed. Matt Murray's better than Tuca Rask, right? Uh, Meanwhile, Casey DeSmith, he was actually just as good in the one game he got this week. He stopped 40 of 41 versus Minnesota on Thursday still you know should murray owners be breathing a little easier now that he's had these two good games or are you gonna be bold and suggest that maybe now's the time to see what you could get for murray in a trade if like if you were doing fine with matt murray in your ir up to last week you know he's not out of the doghouse yet just because casey Desmith smith is doing so well there's still a good chance that Desmith smith steal starts maybe it's gonna be a 50 50 thing now might be the highest value you could get for matt murray because he is looking so so good or maybe is this just the penguins getting what they want and matt murray slowly but surely reclaiming the job no matter how good Casey DeSmith plays
1: I don't know that Matt Murray is on his way to automatically reclaiming the job I don't think he's out of the woods just yet in getting out from under his terrible start and also not grade season last year it is certainly nice the memory has a couple good starts under his belt kind of a foundation for him to continue trying to make a legit case to retake the starting job but the thing with Murray is that even if he does play all right, which we don't know is going to happen, but even if he is good, uh, DeSmith has made a legit case himself to be able to keep the starters' net. You look at all starters in the league this year with more than one thousand minutes played at five on five, um, and this is how they line up. And you're uh, like, uh, in terms of expected uh, save percentage versus actual save percentage, so the, the goalies who are best. Most outperforming their expected save percentage. So you've got Gibson and Renee leading the pack by a bunch. They're followed by Holtby and Anderson as the next group behind them. Uh, Freddie Anderson, not Craig. And then not so far behind Holtby and Anderson are Henrik lungfist Casey DeSmith, and Jimmy Howard. So a pretty unlikely group. But these guys are all right in the neighborhood of the top 5-7 goalies if you're ranking by 5-on-5 five five save percentage above what should have been expected from them this year given the quality of the shots they're facing. And that's why I could see the Pittsburgh crease being more or less a timeshare for a while until a guy stumbles. It feels like Casey DeSmith has just been too good to get automatically relegated to back up a healthy Matt Murray even if Matt Murray is playing upon his return so if you are a Smith owner he's still worth holding until we see Murray start like three four five games in a row and put up good numbers in each of those and then Smith has a chance to play and he falters uh like I'm not counting DeSmith out of this at all and so if I do own Murray I would be uh really excited about these good couple games he's had and see if there's anyone in my league who thinks he's already returned to form as like a top tier workhouse goalie who's going to play a ton for a great team and try and get a commensurate price back for him
0: okay a good workhouse goalie matt murray that that, that could be a new keeping carlson
1: workhouse
0: yeah (laughs) uh workhorse he's a horse hey yeah obviously it depends who you can get for him but especially if you're in a situation where maybe you don't even need him like maybe you had picked up miko koskinen around the time that matt murray got injured and then murray's back so you had to end up dropping a skater because you didn't want to drop koskinen and now all of a sudden maybe you could trade murray for like a top defenseman or a top skater and next thing you know your team's better overall and then if murray plays well then whatever you were fine without him before and if murray doesn't play well then you could just be like oh wow i really i'm glad i avoided that bullet but okay uh one more goalie situation to bring up for now uh not an ouchery per se but definitely a player coming into the league and i'm talking about carter hart who got called up To the Philadelphia Flyers last week, and I called it on last week's show. Not too hard to call. It was Alex Lyon in the net, and McCall Neuvirth was home with his baby. But he's been he's come back. But everyone else is injured. Like Alex Lyon uh, is not an NHL goalie, so he got sent to the minors. And the Philly finally decided, let's get Carter Hart up here because Stoli the goalie and Brian Elliott and all the other guys that they've been trying to play, they're all on the shelf. And Carter Hart had such a great first two games for the team. He had two great successes. He stopped 20 of 22 in the 3-2 win over Detroit on Tuesday, and then 31 of 32 in a 2-1 win over Nashville on Thursday. But then he really had a harsh... You know, continued welcome to the league yesterday because he only stopped 15 of 19 shots in a 4-3 loss to the Blue Jackets. And I mean, what could you expect? Everyone, we had some smart people in our Facebook group saying like, come on guys, like obviously Carter Hart wasn't going to be able to all of a sudden be amazing. Those first two games maybe weren't the toughest challenges as opposed to playing against the Blue Jackets. And Nashville normally is a challenge, but they have all these injury issues. So Brian, at this point though, it looks like Carter Hart is the starting goalie on Philly for as long as Brian Elliott is out. And actually, we've just heard that Brian Elliott's prognosis is extended at least until 2019. Like, it's very concerning. Like, no one really knows what's wrong with him. Apparently he had a setback. Um, McCall Neuverth is the other goalie in the picture who's actually healthy he's actually having a good game today I don't want to jinx him but he's stopped 15 of 16 so far we're almost through two periods in this game against the Rangers so we'll see how he finishes out the night so yeah is Neuwirth a threat to get starts from Carter Hart or is Carter Hart the for sure goalie moving forward at least till Elliot is back is Carter Hart going to be able to play well as like a 19 or 20 year old in the league who hardly has any pro experience so what's your overall take on the situation we also have the fact that Haxtell was fired so maybe that gives us hope that philly could somehow get better though i mean just like firing the coach how much can that really change so yeah people definitely were rushing to grab carter hart out of their free agency lists and i'd be curious to know if you would be one of them in any of your leagues if he was still out there right now
1: if i need a goalie i'll be happy to add carter hart I- I think he looks, well, I mean, he's looked good for two out of three starts. And the question is not really does he look good. It's does he look good enough? Because, I mean, you've got Mikhail Neuwirth who's going to get injured within the next 90 seconds in all likelihood. And Alex Lyon is the only challengers. Uh, you've got Anthony Stollars and Brian Elliott uh, not likely back for about a month. Uh, so I, I feel like Hart has that amount of time to try and establish himself as someone who's NHL ready this season, not someone who needs to go get more work in the AHL. Although if Elliott comes back, I'd still be surprised unless Elliot really struggles. Uh, if Hart stayed in the NHL while not starting, you know, say 40% of his team's games, I, I figure the Flyers want him. Anyway, you're talk- we're talking more about the short term though. Um, and yeah, I think Carter Hart is a good look. Honestly, I think Mikhail Neuwirth, is a half-decent look. Um, if it weren't for durability issues, I think he'd probably be about an equal look at, as Carter Hart. Um, and whether Carter Hart can be an, a, a league-average goaltender this season, it feels like it's about even odds. At this point, or maybe just below. And you mentioned the coaching change, Elon, that's another big part of this, because that's like whether Philadelphia can improve their defensive situation, thanks to the coaching change will determine uh, to some extent how successful Carter Hart is this season. So that's a like there's a couple things at the same time simultaneously that we're waiting and seeing.
0: Yeah, so definitely seems like take a flyer on Carter Hart. And Brian's even saying maybe take a flyer on McCall Neuwirth if by the time you listen to the show, he actually finishes off this game against the Rangers with a win and with a good game. He doesn't get blown up in the third and his knee or whatever doesn't get blown up in the third. If he could actually finish the game healthy, that would also be very impressive for him. Uh, yeah, speaking of this new coach, let's take a look at the line combinations that he's been, by the way, we're just saying the new coach. What's his name? It's like, it's just an Scott interim guy. Scott
1: Gorton, isn't it Gorton?
0: Scott Gorton? Missioner Gorton okay i'll go with what you're saying philadelphia flyers coach i'm searching on google right now scott gordon why is it gorton uh, i don't know why i said gorton what a weird what a weird thing to get (laughs) mixed up that's a strange mistake to make do you know someone else named gorton no i'm
1: trying to think of why i went there all right it's Uh, like the one time i called wayne simmons wayne simons
0: there's also the time that you said of jenny malkin for a whole episode (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Anj Kopitar, I think that might have been the same episode. These
1: things happen.
0: Okay, so Scott Gordon is the coach, and he has been rolling out these lines. These are the lines that have been going today against the Rangers. So Giroux with Konechny and James Van Riemsdyk. So that's first of all interesting. No more Couturier with Giroux. Couturier isn't playing on a line with Wayne Simmons and Jacob Voracek. Oh, Elon? Yes,
1: because Jeff Gorton is the is the GM in New York. There oh. is a Gordon in the league.
0: Ah, there you go. I'm glad you corrected it. So Sorry, I really, I really needed to. Sorry to interrupt your flow. Okay, so Giroux, me. JVR, Couturier, Simmons or Simons as you would say and Jacob Voracek and then that kind of is it for fantasy relevant guys you've got Nolan Patrick now centering the third line with Michael Roffel and Scott Lawton which is bad for him but you know what this looks pretty good to me for guys like Simmons and Voracek and JVR because Philly's been rolling these like three lines with a really good supposedly fantasy relevant player on each of the lines so I think I kind of like the idea that all these players could probably do better playing with other good players. We've got six super talented players now all playing with each other and that's going to be good for them i believe it was jvr who was off the top power play it's kind of like a florida situation from earlier in the year where uh you know hoffman or Doe or someone was being left off the top power play you know that was back when Chochek was healthy of course uh so now yeah so it was wayne simmons on the top power play and jvr off so maybe that's not great for james van reemtek but overall yeah these lines are very interesting and do you think anyone here especially benefits or gets hurts from these line combinations for as long as they last of course obviously from nolan patrick who you probably didn't own anyways because he's been slumping for a while Now things just got worse for him.
1: Well, I think I was going to say before tonight's games that Michael Roffel is irrelevant again or just remains irrelevant because he he got a brief turn uh, up with good deployment, but he scored tonight, uh, but not from a great line. I think the bad news, uh, like the the way that these line changes impact a player the most is Nolan Patrick playing on the third line with Michael Roffle and Scott Lawton. Uh, that's not great, but I think uh, for everybody else, like Van Riemsdyk, Simmons, uh, and everybody else filling out the top six, is uh, another guy who is helped, I think, by this new configuration. Uh, everybody in the top six, it's a nice group of forwards in the the philly high end of the lineup so uh so i'd I'd be happy to own any of those guys right now the way things are looking Uh, if i had nolan patrick and it's not a keeper league uh, he's a streamer for sure at best
0: yeah i wonder if uh, philly is starting to have regrets you know they could have had elias peterson but it said they took a Nolan Patrick with that second pick, and a couple other teams could have had Elias Peterson. I actually read an interesting article. It was like the oral history of how Vancouver got that pick, and it's like this just happened a couple of years ago. But people love these oral history articles. It was on the Athletic, I believe.
1: Yeah. Okay, I Brian. I saw that too. I still think Nolan Patrick. Like nobody knew how good Peterson. Peterson. Are we agreeing to go with what his wishes are, Peterson? Yeah, let's let's follow his wishes. Okay, we'll go with yeah. But people are just going to think we don't know. Uh, which is a reasonable guess anyway Peter I don't think anyone really knew I think if if you were picking in the top two it had to be Patrick or his like I don't think hindsight is like would have changed anything you know what I mean does that make sense what I'm saying yeah. like there was no yeah. way to know if you had a top two pick you had to go those two guys and I still think like we're not gonna rate Nolan Patrick according to how he's playing on the third line right now
0: yeah, for sure. So obviously it's still early and it's probably would be a lot of fun to go and see these guys in person. You know, go see Nolan Patrick on the third line. Maybe the last year you'll be able to do so. Go see Elias Peterson playing in his rookie season. And if you want to go see one of these games, of course, you got to get a ticket, but getting tickets can be so difficult. But don't worry because I've got a sponsor to tell you about for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. They are going to help you get to the game or event that you want to go to with like no hassle. It's going to be so easy for you because they pull millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats that you want for the price that you're willing to pay as you know brian there's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. You can even sort the tickets by value. You can sort by price, of course, or you can sort like, hey, I want to get a good deal here, okay? So you sort by value, you can constrain the price, like lots of neat little things. Uh, search. The search functionality is very useful so you to find exactly what you want for the price that you want to pay, like I said. Plus, you could even just go onto the app or the website of SeatGeek and just see what's going on. Like, I'm looking here, what's going on in Toronto next week? Like, for people who are, are going to be around, you, you know, there's not even hockey happening next week, but you could go see, like, a raptors game you could go see uh ariana grande well actually she's not till april 3rd but yeah it's really fun just go and see all the fun things that i can do to entertain myself if i want to leave my apartment and stop recording podcasts so brian if people want to take advantage of Seeking's great offerings we have a way to even help them get a little more why don't you tell them about that
1: yeah our listeners keeping carlson listeners that's you Get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code KEEPING, do it today. That's promo code KEEPING for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And uh, send us a tweet with a little photo of where you went. Let us know. We always get one from uh, from one of our listeners, Richard, who sends us a picture with a note that says, in the classroom. I like right. getting those. Uh, so yeah, $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase, promo code KEEPING, SeatGeek life's an event we have the tickets
0: they do indeed have lots of tickets okay uh by the way jvr james van ream's like we just talked about a couple weeks ago people were asking if they should drop him this guy has had two uh one goal one assist games in his last three games this guy's putting up some multi-point efforts playing with claude Giroux is no joke like that guy is amazing and he makes everyone who plays with him do really well uh okay next Outjury. We're still on outjuries here. We got a lot to get to, Brian, but I want to talk about Ilya Kovalchuk. He put up two goals in his return to the Kings yesterday, including the OT game winner versus Eric Carlson and the Sharks. By the way, Brian, side note, since November 13th, Eric Carlson is tied as the second in D-man scoring with 19 points in his last 19 games. Mark Giordano is tied with him. Morgan Riley is the only one ahead uh Shabbat, by the way, Thomas Shabbat, down in the sad 15 points in 19 games. What? That's terrible. Obviously, I'm kidding. I don't want to pick on Thomas Shabbat. I like him, but when people say he's better than Eric Carlson, I have no choice but to cut him down to size. Also, please don't listen to any episodes that we recorded before November 13th when I was showing concern about Eric Carlson. But right now, obviously, I'm very happy about him, though. It's kind of a bummer that he's suspended for the next two games. He's not playing today, and then he's going to miss next Thursday's game. I'm going to be in trouble in my couple matchup for sure. It's going to be a tough matchup. I'm not going to have Eric Carlson. Why, by the way, can't you put IR plus guys in your, or why can't you put suspended guys in your IR plus on Yahoo? I don't get it. The guy's not playing. Let me sash him in my IR plus. I'm frustrating yahoo has an
1: na feature though and i'm pretty sure you can put them in an na like stands for not active spot
0: so but can you put uh uh, like injured players in na
1: i don't think so i think they need a little na tag and it's generally for suspended or demoted players
0: All right. Well, but that's the thing. I don't want to allow you to stash demoted players. I don't think it would have been fair for people to just grab Carter Hart at the start and then hold him all season long. But I feel like I don't see why I now have to be down a game because Eric Carlson is getting dinged for this hit, which I don't really want to comment on whether because what do I I, probably everyone should be more careful anyways. That's that's
1: what you that's what you get for holding a dirty player.
0: Okay, just
1: joking. (laughs) That's not Carl. I was so surprised. Like I watched the hit. I didn't I mean, I'm all about intent. Doesn't matter. Like if, if you make contact with the head, like that's it, like suspend. So anyway, I don't think he's a dirty player, but there should, like, I feel it's an appropriate penalty. If you're rostering someone like Tom Wilson or even Brad Marchand, who like, who has a suspension history or Radko Gudas.
0: What? So you're saying I have to have like morality or something when I'm drafting for fantasy hockey? No,
1: but I am saying, like, the same way you want to avoid owning someone who's injury prone, you need to take that into account. If there's no NA spots in your league for suspended players, you might want to knock 10 games off their projection.
0: Okay, but that's the difference with the injured with the injured players. I could stash them and pick up someone else. I'm, I'm stuck. But anyways, okay, people yeah. don't want to hear about this, especially because <laughs> we were talking about Yulia Kovalchuk, I believe, right? So let's go back to him. He played only 13 minutes and 42 seconds in his return. He was on the third line with Leipzig and Thompson, but that didn't stop him from picking up those two goals in his return game, including an overtime game-winning goal. His game yesterday was his first game since November 29th, and those goals were his first goal since November 6th which was back when kovalchuk was looking like a brilliant signing for the kings as his like one goal two assist game versus anaheim way back on november 6th that brought him to five goals and nine assists in 14 games so people already forget kovalchuk was a point per game guy after 14 games Then he put up a total of zero points in his next 11 games before getting hurt. And now everyone is thinking of him as like, who is this? Nobody. Oh my God, what a terrible mistake by the Kings. But Hey, now he's had his vacation quote unquote, as we like to say on the podcast. I feel like sometimes there's something to this thing, Brian, where a player's like doing very badly. Then they go on the IR for a while. Maybe it was this like injury that was hampering them somewhat, or maybe they just need some time to get their head straight. But you know, Matt Murray, same thing. He's doing good. Ilya Kovalchuk looked good in that first game. We'll see how he does today. anyway, Does this two-goal return indicate that we're going to be seeing more of the early season Kovalchuk? Or are you expecting pre-injury Kovalchuk to return soon, starting with today's game versus Vegas? Which is the real Ilya Kovalchuk at 35 years old.
1: Yeah, so you're asking if he's, like, started the season... Kovalchuk or, or pre-injury Kovalchuk. I feel like you sort of painted both as good Kovalchuk's, but we know that wasn't the case. Uh, Kovalchuk had 24 shots in his first seven games, in which he had five points, two goals, three assists. Uh, and then it took Kovalchuk twice as long to get his next 24 shots on goal. So he had 24 shots in his first seven games. Then he had 24 shots in his next 15 games. And that was part of a stretch where he had just 26 shots over 17 games, uh, excluding the game before he got injured. Uh, and those games in which Kovalchuk was taken uh, well beneath fewer, well beneath two shots per game on average, uh, he had some really awful deployment numbers with plunging time on ice. Maybe they were somewhat connected to eventual IR placement or maybe uh, Willie Desjardins, new coach in LA, just wasn't a fan. Anyway, I'm heartened to see that Kovalchuk put up six shots in his return to the lineup, which is really what I'm continue. Uh, what I will continue to be looking for, uh, he's still only played uh, just less than 14 minutes, which you mentioned, Elon, that's a far cry from the 18 to 20 minutes he was getting even as he struggled before Willie Desjardins took the helm. So we'll see if Kovalchuk's usage can grow uh, and we'll be carefully watching his shot counts as well to see just how much we need to care about him. I'm not tripping over myself to add him uh, if he's a free agent in my league, but I am watching closely, paying close attention to his shots and time on ice.
0: Okay, I have a feeling if you're not tripping over yourself to pick him up, someone else will. Because this is a name going into the season, we had high hopes. And now that he had this good game, obviously, we'll see how he does today. But I have a feeling it sounds like you're advising for people to let someone else take Kovalchuk. You're saying that you're not willing to take a chance on him. You'd rather let someone else do it.
1: Kind of. When I say don't trip over yourself, I'm not actually going to say the same thing about our next player. I just mean, like, don't give up too much to get kovalchuk if there's nobody with hope of being a 55 60 point player in free agency and oftentimes there isn't uh, i guess go ahead and make that swap and try and get him in if you can afford to wait while uh, we figure out exactly what kovalchuk can offer the rest of the season all i'm saying is that there is uh, still some significant downside to go with that upside so you need to need to take the risks and benefits into account when figuring out if he is the right guy to add to your roster
0: yeah and like i said before he was playing on the third line so i would obviously be a lot more into him obviously two goals in a game is nice but you know if they didn't go to overtime it would have been one goal and also it would be nice if we could be seeing him getting better deployment and we'll see how he does today uh brian another player that i want to get to who i think you were just hinting at before the real question to me is like who would you prefer between someone like kovalchuk or alex ayafalo because i keep bringing ayafalo up every once in a while he's had a bunch of hot streaks throughout the season and i feel like every time i bring him up i almost like know what your answer is going to be you're going to say yeah yeah he's hot now but don't expect the last he's alex freaking and follow but at this point like i think we have to start taking this guy seriously as more than just a stream like as a potential guy that you might want to have sticking on your lineup like he's been on the top line with kopitar and dustin brown for quite a while now and his goal yesterday extended his point streak to six games Are we at a point where people should be giving Ayafalo a chance to stick on their roster until he either gets bumped from that line or goes cold for a significant amount of time? Like, I feel like before we said for people, grab and then, you know, one game where he doesn't get a point, we'll be like, okay, it's over, just forget it, drop him. But at this point, I feel like this guy is in a great spot and he's producing consistently.
1: For the short term, Iofalo is looking like someone who needs to be rostered. Absolutely. He's got goals in three straight, uh, 10 shots in those three games to help him get and stay on that little goal scoring streak he started. I can't really speak, though, to the sustainability of Iofalo's eight points in his last six games. But, you know, it all does look nice right now in the short term, uh, especially if he can keep holding on to his top line spot. And if LA can finally. Get their offense going. Uh, LA has finally scored three or more goals in six of their last eight games. It's obviously their best stretch of team goal scoring all year. The thing is, I'm not totally convinced they've really turned anything so far around in the bigger picture. Like, it's been a nice little run. I don't know if it's sustainable for the team. But if the Kings can at least stop being terrible at scoring goals, then Ayafalo is, of course, positioned to pick up more points than he had been when the Kings were struggling a lot. Uh, Before you trip over yourself to add Ayafalo, though, just recall that he had three goals and one assist for four points. In the 22 games before this streak started, many of which he was still playing with Brown and Kopitar. So he still makes a great short-term add and maybe a decent longer-term add as a third wheel on a good line if it can keep going. But uh, again, like Kovalchuk, big downside remains a possibility. So be careful about giving up too much to get him on your squad.
0: Okay, Brian, let's say you're in a league Limited ads, but not too limited. Okay. Let's say you have 30 ads on the season. You've used 15 at this point. You got kovalchuk I follow, and let's put Brian Rust out there in free agency. And you just had an injury, so you have to pick up one of them. Who, you know, so like I'm saying that there's limited ads, just like it's not the kind of thing where you could just change it every single week. You got to kind of make a decision and stick with it, hopefully for a few weeks at least. Who do you like between those three?
1: That's a real. That's a tough one. It feels like Patrick Hornqvist's days of playing alongside Sidney Crosby are over, or at least numbered. Uh, like I don't remember where I read or heard that Crosby doesn't really like playing with Hornqvist or something. Uh, so maybe that means Rust stays long enough on the top line to make it worthwhile. I don't know. I'd be choosing between Rust and Iafalo. I think I might lean. I follow just because he, he seems like a fixture on that top line and I'll just make a gamble that Kopitar and Brown are going to do enough for I follow to get in on who, who would you pick?
0: I don't know. It's interesting because Kovalchuk's the one who I'd expect to be on the top power play of the three. <laughs> so if you want power play points, then maybe you yeah. go him. Plus, I didn't feel like Kovalchuk's the guy who's going to give you the most shots. But that depends, you know, on his deployment. Uh, it's tricky. It's a really tough one. I think it's more of a hypothetical question that can't be answered. I feel like, you know, it's it's almost like I flip a coin. I feel like right now I kind of would want Brian Rust. I would say like he's just too hot with Crosby, and Crosby's too amazing. Kopitar is fantastic, but Crosby is, of course, a level above, and so I guess I would go Rust, but if it's the kind of move where I'm making, and I'm hoping that it could just last all season, probably Kovalchuk, but also probably I follow. It's tough. I can't. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Let's,
1: yeah it's, it, they're all very close in the same category. Like, if you have to commit to one of them for a month, I feel like they all have a, a pretty equal chance of, of paying off the same way.
0: Yeah, tweet it as, hashtag team I follow hashtag team (laughs) Kovalchuk or hashtag team rust to at keeping Carlson. We're going to tally this all up. We're going to make this all very scientific and cool. I'm very curious to hear what people think about this. Uh, Okay. Brian, one last thing to mention on the King's, Tyler Toffoli who we we probably should people are saying like why do you keep mentioning stupid Tyler Toffoli he does nothing but listen to this this guy has 52 shots in his last 15 games and why 15 games I just went and like look last 30 days so Kings have played 15 games and Toffoli has 52 shots in that span that puts him in the company of the following players who are within two shots of him over this past month okay ready Datenov, Tavares, Dustin Brown, Johnny Gaudreau, Chris Latang, Monahan, Pasternak, Rantanen, and Landeskog. All of these guys are within two shots of Tyler Toffoli in this span. But while most of these guys have six or more goals, Ranton has freaking eleven goals in his past sixteen games on fewer shots. Toffoli has zero goals. On it, like in, in 52 shots in these last 15 games, so doesn't this mean like I feel like normally, Brian, when we're trying to project players, I want to say this means that this guy's going to break out something. foley's clearly having bad luck, he's snake bitten, he can't get something to go past the goalie. I kind of wish that we were playing the stock market right now, and if Tyler foley was a penny stock, I'd be putting you know, throw a hundred dollars on the Tyler foley st- stock and see if it can go up a little bit because this guy is obviously having really bad luck. At the same time, can we really recommend for anyone to grab Tyler Toffoli, who's doing absolutely nothing, gets no points. He's playing with Jeff Carter, which used to be a good thing. But Jeff Carter, even forget about that guy. He's like a nobody now, too. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just wanted to, I just thought it was interesting. I didn't realize this guy was taking so many shots. He's helping you in your league. If your league counts shots, eventually you got to expect some of these shots to go in, right?
1: This is a great catch, Elon. I bet a lot of people didn't realize what Tyler Toffoli had been doing quietly because, well, you can't make a lot of noise just taking a lot of shots. But you've got your ear so far to the ground, Elon, that you catch that Tyler Toffoli is shooting, uh, I guess, not the lights out because that would mean he's scoring. and He's shooting a lot. He has four or more shots in eight of his last 10 games. Toffoli is doing everything he can to bust out of this 18-game goalless drought that he's in. The guy hasn't scored since November 16th and Toffoli has taken 59 shots since then, during which time we would expect him to be able to pick up like six goals going by his usual career shooting numbers. I wouldn't want to pay like so, Elon, you're absolutely right. Like this is somebody who if he's in free agency, it's like he's doing the right things. I don't think that I'm like, Oh, got to really work hard to buy low on to Foley. Cause he's still like a 50, 55 point guy at the best of times and six goals over 18 games is not nothing to, you know, really write home about, but he certainly seems like he's due and trying every way he can to pay dividends for anybody who wants to buy some stock. And uh, so if you're in a league that counts shots on goal or you could like you need a really deep ad to help you uh, for one or two nights, Tyler Toffoli is absolutely worth a look. Great discovery, Elon.
0: Well, let's see if he could score a goal and keep up these shots. But, yeah, he's been keeping up these shots pretty consistently now. Brian, I don't, I don't need the compliments. I just need to uh, need to know what to do here to win my fantasy leagues. Okay, uh, another outry We're still on outtree. Brian. Matt Duchesne returned for the Ottawa Senators on Friday after missing a couple of weeks and continued his amazing season. He had two goals and five shots, including a power play goal in his return. Of course, he didn't get anything on Saturday because the Sens got shut out by Washington. Uh, Phoenix Copley actually got the shutout. Uh, and I guess it's a good... You know, I wonder now what we're doing with the Sens because it seems like they're not scoring as many goals as they used to. Like Brady Kachuk, we talked about last week, was so on fire, but now he's really cooled down even though he's in a good situation. Anyway, speaking of Matt Duchesne, he's now up to 36 points in 31 games, which is like insane, right? Like, did anyone expect this? Like, can Matt Duchesne actually keep this up and be an above point-per-game player for the rest of the season? Like, I feel like this has got to be sell-high time on Matt Duchesne, right? Like, I'd be very surprised if you're going to tell people that if you could get, like, you know, if you could get, say, who's like, a common point per game but like Tarasenko would you be trading Matt Duchesne for Tarasenko or is that the kind of thing now or think no Matt Duchesne's for real and this guy's better than what we can expect Tarasenko to do and we'll actually talk about Tarasenko later because he's been slumping so maybe he's not the best example but you you get what I'm going for right and by the way also Mark Stone 40 points in 37 games these are like above point per game players and we knew they were good but did you know they were this good
1: I did know they were this good and I've been touting them all off season saying even on an awful Ottawa team, these guys still have the ability to stand out. Did I know that they would be this, this good? Uh, No. Here's where we sit with Matt Duchesne. It's actually really interesting. You bring up Tarasenko, Elon, because when I was doing my show prep, I was like, "Uh, if you want to sell high on Duchesne, and I was trying to think of a guy in Tara Stankle up to mind. I'll get to him in a second and then we'll get to him in like 20 minutes from now, probably. Uh, but okay. Matt Duchesne is his scoring sustainable. Uh, right now he's on like a 95, 96 point pace. Here's why at five on five, Matt Duchesne has 11 goals on 50 shots, uh, which gives him a 22% even strength shooting percentage, which is twice as high as it should be. Um, one really lovely thing about Matt Duchesne at even strength is that 11 of his 13 assists are primaries. So way to go, Matt Duchesne for just racking up the primary points uh, on the power play. Duchesne actually has a low IPP and is still racking up the primary assists for primary assists and no secondary assists. So you might even argue that with only two secondary assists on the year, Matt Duchesne deserves a little more luck, like, uh, uh, like at least in that category, not so much in goals. Um, If I wanted to try and be critical of his game, I'd say his shot and shot attempt rates uh, aren't like the best they've ever been. But they're still fine. Like it's not a concerning drop over the last couple of years. He also has a high on ice shooting percentage at both five on five and on the power play. uh, So that's going to regress a little bit. Look, I really like Duchesne's game. And I think he's probably closer to a point per game pace. Or if I want to really restrain myself, I'll say mid to high 70 points. Uh, And I'm not sure that it's sell high time for Matt Duchesne. It's like, who else would believe enough in Matt Duchesne to give you someone who's a 70-plus point type player? Like, if you are looking at Vladimir Tarasenko as a potential return, um, I don't think you want him. Uh, Tarasenko, we're going to get into the why in a little bit, but here's the what, like just as a quick digression, Vladimir Tarasenko is struggling in a huge way this year Uh, just two goals and no assists in his last 10 games. He's still averaging three shots a game, which is all right. Tarasenko has gone pointless in 16 out of 34 games this season. Um, And just for context in in past years, Tarasenko has gone pointless 28, 30, 33 times last season. He went pointless 36 times and that added up for him to be a 66 point season right now Tarasenko is pacing to go pointless 38 times this year which must just be so frustrating for his owners because he's counted upon to be a bastion of consistency or at least in the past when he hasn't been consistent he's put up huge multi-point efforts and several of them to make up for all the goose eggs in his game logs but he's just not doing much of anything this year so no I would not want Tarasenko over Shane. I, you can rate that hot take out of 10, Elon. It feels like a hot one. Um, and Mark Stone, by the way, uh, I'll, I'll just add in. I love Mark Stone. What he's doing, uh, it looks more sustainable to me. So I'm more confident that he can sustain his current outstanding pace than Matt Duchesne. But I don't think Matt Duchesne is going to fall down. Uh, he's like, There's no way he falls down to a sub-70 point pace if everything keeps breaking at least average for him.
0: Yeah, and it's especially impressive. Like, his line mates in Saturday's game were Nick, Paul, and Bobby Ryan. And, and he didn't get any points in that game. No one did against Washington. But still, the fact that these are the types of guys that Duchesne is playing with. Like, we were talking about Drake Batherson. remember? I think he's back in the minors now. But he was looking good just because he was playing with Matt Duchesne. So, yeah, like, he's really good. And I'd be willing to take that bet, though, with you, Brian, just for fun. How about rest of the season starting today? Who's going to get more points, Duchesne or Tarasenko? I'll take okay. Tarasenko. I'm fun. in. All right, someone keep track of that for us. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Didn't we
1: resolve somewhere to keep track? Maybe it was in the Almanac... I'm just stretchy. waiting for
0: I'm waiting for one super listener at the end <laughs> of the season to just send us a link to a website where they've been keeping track of all of our bets and how they're all going with advanced stats going along with them of who should have won the bet expected points all the great stuff so uh, we'll leave it to the listeners to keep that going for us Brian okay another player on the sense I wanted to bring up is Thomas Shabbat before you had your baby Timo Meyer you were saying that you thought Thomas Shabbat was going to be potentially a sell high since then he's been pretty darn good right? he has 13 points his last 15 games But zoom in a little bit, only four points in his last seven games. And if he goes pointless, in Ottawa's next game on Thursday, I believe it is, maybe Friday, he'll fall below a point per game for the first time since he picked up an assist in the first game of the season versus Chicago, which uh, is pretty wild that he's been above a point per game pace all season long. He seems to be falling from that, which is fair. Uh, defensemen, all defensemen aren't supposed to be getting point per game, None, like especially not someone like Thomas Shabbat, who is someone who is like obviously a high pedigree prospect, but no one's expecting to be like the top guy in the league. Anyways, Brian, do you recommend that people should sell high on Thomas Shabbat. Still, like you said before, I still, like, I feel like at this point, you're still going to get that decent haul that you would have gotten from him back before you had your baby. Like, he's still at a point per game. Like I said, do you still think he's going to continue to slow down? Like, I just want to get your updated take on Thomas Shabbat at this point. Like, what kind of pace are you expecting to see from him moving forward for the rest of the season? We had a patron, Brady, who just traded him for Leon Drysidel a couple days ago. Do you think that was, like, a huge win? Or was that, like, just an even trade, you know, you know, depending if you want defense more or forward more?
1: So just to quickly answer that, I think it's about even. I might prefer the dry sidle side, but here, here's my Shabbat shtick, and then you can decide. So the last time we chatted about Shabbat, oh, <laughs> that sounded a lot worse than I realized until I said it out loud.
0: I don't uh, even get what the joke is.
1: Well, I, I softened the, 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 like in chatted. I Shabbat. Pronounced the oh. c- c- yeah.
0: Okay. That's a good Doesn't joke. Doesn't sound good, though. Okay, well, uh, too bad. We already put uh, an explicit (laughs) tag on this episode. So, we're Uh, okay.
1: Okay. Oh, gotta compose myself again. So, uh, that was back in, like, the second week of November, and I brought up a couple red flags to explain why I thought Shabbat's scoring pace would subside. Uh, The first red flag I mentioned was Shabbat's 15 percent five on five on ice shooting percentage uh, when usually like you're looking at nine or ten percent uh, and uh, of course, his uh, shooting percentage has since fallen nearly three percentage points uh, to just above 12%. Uh, and I still think there's probably some regression due. Uh, so that could slide a little further. I also mentioned that Shabbat had a really troubling primary to secondary assist ratio. He had four primaries and 13 secondary assists at all strengths combined. Now he's got seven primaries and 20 secondaries, So he's gained, he's essentially kept on that same ratio. He's added three primaries and seven secondaries. I guess it's actually a little better of a ratio, uh, but I'm still kind of wondering if Shabbat should be getting fewer assists. Uh, the thing is, and I do need to add this caveat, uh, just because Shabbat has so many secondaries, this does not mean like he's getting lucky all the time. Like he could still be contributing. And, and what we'd really have to do to know, uh, to to be certain is to review every one of the secondary assists that Shabbat has gotten and determine whether there was skill, whether he really created the play or whether it's just noise. Like he just happened to touch the puck and, uh, and then someone else made a great play to create the goal. But generally it's a safe assumption that many secondary assists are noise, like they're not necessarily well-earned or deserved. So you just need to be careful when you see such a high amount of secondary assists pumping up a player's numbers. Um, The other thing about Shabbat that I mentioned that wasn't a red flag, but instead was a, is he for real Uh, kind of comment, was that he had a 10% career shooting percentage when we last chatted. And I wondered, could that hold? Can he be one of these rare defensemen who can continue shooting at a 10% uh, conversion rate? And so far, he's continued that. He's shooting 11% in the 19 games since we last checked in, scoring five times on 45 shots. So where does this all leave us? To sum up, I think there's still some regression to come in Shabbat's assists. He's pacing for 60 apples right now, which is a good deal more than I think he should deserve. But maybe Shabbat's 22 goal full season pace could be sustainable. And that alone could power Shabbat to sustain a 60 plus point pace the rest of the season, even with some pretty serious regression in his ability to get assists. I don't think... A seventy-point pace rest of the year is is out of the question. I think it'll be a challenge. I would like him closer to sixty. Ah,
0: so, uh, I was all excited for you to go bold and say seventy-point pace, but now no. you're saying
1: like, I'll, you know what? I'll go sixty-five and feel fairly comfortable with it, which is still like huge for a guy that most people got out of free agency at the start of the season. But yeah. I don't think I can get myself to seventy. Can you?
0: No. I mean, you're the one who's uh, saying all this stuff about his shooting percentage being otherworldly. So uh, I don't know. We'll find out and we'll see. You're the expert, Brian. I'm just the guy asking the questions here. And it's very interesting to see that he's kept up, you know, not as good of a pace as he was at the start of the year, but still definitely very well in line to have a 65-point pace the rest of the way, which would land him, you know, well above 70 points because of the nice uh, head start he's given himself. Uh, one last thing on the sense, Craig Anderson is day-to-day with an upper body injury. We probably won't know more until after the Christmas break about if he's actually going to be out for long or not marcus hogberg was called up to back up mike mckenna yesterday then he was sent back afterwards but that's probably just because the nhl's on break so maybe he'll get called up again if craig anderson ends up being out for a while which of these goalies would be most likely to get more starts between mckenna and hogberg and would it be worth it for people to actually grab either of them or are the sends just going to be in a lot of trouble
1: The Suns are going to be in a lot of trouble, right? Craig Anderson, uh, during much of his tenure in Ottawa, uh, has been like the only thing keeping them above water. So with him out, and I'm just going to, like, this is total speculation, but with the language surrounding his injury, uh, you know, we don't know what it is yet. He took a hit to the head. Uh, Apparently uh, 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 someone who follows the the Belleville AHL Senators uh, said that that team was told that Anderson was sick when uh, when the call was made to call up Hart- Hogberg and like all of this to me sort of adds up to to a pattern we see around talking about concussions without actually saying it's a concussion or being ready to say so I'm not I'm not saying that's what it is but I am saying like uh, it's on my radar like my my ears and attention have been piqued and and directed that way um, as for which senator's goalie you want neither of them like it, it's gonna be really really tough goings for any Senator's starting goalie uh, because they're not really NHL starters. Hogberg. I'm interested. Like he, he has some pedigree he's done all right in the AHL. I'm interested to see how well he can do. I feel like Mike McKenna is more likely to get at least first crack at getting starts. He's also like, a great he seems like a great guy like he has like this like cult following from all his days uh, being an AHL journeyman and the team could like use a good guy Uh, like I don't know there's so many you know when it gets to Ottawa I tend to overthink things and I I think my simple answer is McKenna gets first crack but I wouldn't be surprised if Hogberg can do better than McKenna the question is uh, how well can either of these guys do on a pretty bad Ottawa team in front of them
0: yeah I mean McKenna did get a crack yesterday and he was terrible well he let in four goals against the Washington Capitals I guess you know most a lot of teams let in four goals against the Washington Capitals so yeah I think my advice would be if you want to take a chance on an Ottawa goalie wait for the next game and for the starting goalie to be announced and then jump on the guy if you want if there's no other goalies in your free agency that you want to add instead that are playing that night then sure grab McKenna or Hogberg if one of them is playing and then if they play well you hold on if they don't play well you could drop them because probably the other guy will get the shot in the next game and you could go from there hopefully for the Sens and for Craig Anderson owners of course and we will be back soon. Uh, John Klingberg returned to the Stars on Thursday after his long, long absence. So really great news for his fantasy owners who are obviously, you know, invested heavily in John Klingberg. He was drafted as one of the top defensemen in leagues going into this season. No points in his return, but he did pick up an assist yesterday in the 2-1 overtime win over Minnesota. I believe Dallas is playing today so I could check in and tell you what's happening there. Dallas is winning 1-0 against the Islanders. Brian, want to take a guess? Does Klingberg have a point or does he not have a point?
1: He has a point? No, he does
0: not have a point. No. <laughs> come on. Stupid! You're so stupid!
1: Okay. Was that Eddie Guerrero?
0: No, that was from UHF. Why do I keep making UHF references to you and you keep on not getting them when you just watched that movie? I, I don't. I have no retention. Did you remember the guy spins the wheel? They play Wheel of Fish. Oh, yeah. And she spins the wheel and then she gets like a red snapper and he's like, oh, that's such a good fish. You could either keep the fish <laughs> or the box. Or- or you can have what's in the box. And she was like, I'll take what's in the box. And then there was nothing in the box. And then the host was like, you're so <laughs> stupid. It's like, why is she stupid? It was a guess. Anyway. Ah, that was movie. a fun movie. Such a good movie. UHF, check it out. Weird Al, cult favorite, I think. Uh, Klingberg, he's good. What is it? nothing to say about Klingberg. Obviously, you want to have him on your team. He's a top guy. Uh, Dallas has a really stacked top power play. And Klingberg's going to get a lot of power play assist. Uh, what, who else can we talk about? Uh, Heiskanen or Heiskanen. He's gone cold lately. Klingberg returning, I imagine... Probably won't help that. Uh, there's some guy named Dennis Gurianov who was playing on the top power play yesterday. Maybe you could tell us if th- we should know who this person is. Uh, Jason Spezza has gone back to being pretty much irrelevant after a strong start to the year. Is he? I'm curious to know if he's even on any of your watch lists at this point or if you've completely forgotten about him. Uh, those are all the Stars questions I could think of for this episode. Like The Stars are an interesting team. Like, they're a good team. I feel like I don't want to throw shade at Stars fans, but I feel like for the purposes of our podcast, there's never there's never much to talk about. Like At least when Klingberg was injured, it was fun to see which defenseman was quarterback in the top power play. But I feel like this team was pretty straightforward. You've got Ben, Sagan, Radulov as all super fantasy relevant guys who are amazing. Klingberg on defense, maybe Haskinen. And that feels like it's kind of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, this Denis Gurianov guy is pretty interesting. He's a 21 year old uh, now. He was picked in the first round, 12th overall by Dallas back in 2015. Uh, for reference, that was also Timo Meyer's draft. Gurianov's now in his second pro North American season. Uh, and he's doing quite well in it. He's fitting in uh, with nine goals and 19 assists for 28 points in 23 AHL games played. He's also uh, taking some turns with Ben and Sagan at five-on-five five, as well as getting that top-unit power play time. I wonder, like, it seems like at least Coach Jim Montgomery is intrigued by Goryanov, and maybe he can hang around in the lineup. Right now he's only hanging in because of injury. Um or like that's how he ended up there in the first place as opposed to like that's how we got the call up and now uh now it's almost like dallas could have a an interesting decision on their hands if goryanov is forcing their hand and showing that he can play on the top line and or the top power play don't read too much into what i'm saying about the top line though he has been like shuffled around like every game through several line mates but ben and tiggin have been a couple of them
0: Right. Okay. So they are playing today. And because of the amazing Frozen Pool website, I could check and see what the line combinations are today. And Gurianov is playing on a line with Spezza and Matias Janmark, which I don't even know is that the second line, probably. Maybe the Blake Como, Martin Hansel, Devin Shore line is the second. Like this team is stacked on the top line with Ben Sagan and Radulov and then everyone else just, it's a dearth. But I guess they still win some games. So that's pretty good. And then yeah, Gurianov hasn't been on the top power play today. Jason Spezza is there for that fourth forward spot. And of course... Oh, actually, no, I shouldn't say, of course, doing nothing. I believe he has an assist today. So good for Jason Spezza. Maybe he'll turn it around now that I anti-jinxed him. Brian, let's move on to some injuries now. We've been doing outjuries all this time. If uh, people have been keeping track... Max Pacioretty exited Monday's game versus Columbus with a lower body injury and was put on IR for the week. Uh, Coach Gerard Gallant of the Vegas Golden Knights said he didn't expect Patches to be out for long. But still, this is very interesting. Normally, I wouldn't bring it up if he's going to be back next week anyways. But I got to bring it up because Brandon Peary was called up in Pacioretty's absence. And he scored a goal on five shots versus the Islanders on Thursday. Then he had two goals on three shots versus Montreal yesterday. Vegas is playing again today, and I could try to be an awesome broadcaster and bring this up in real time. I can I already
1: should... tell you, Piri tell is still playing with Smith and Stasny on the second line.
0: And how's he doing so far today?
1: Oh, uh, that, I, he doesn't have the only goal for Vegas. Oh, Vegas has scored another goal. This is very exciting to anyone listening. Nosek had the first goal. Uh, Riley Smith from Marchessault and Nick Holden. So uh, I don't know how that happened. It wasn't on the power play. Because Smith and Marcia don't appear to be playing together, at least a lot, this game.
0: Yeah, so obviously sometimes a player shifts off. And we'll get into these lines in a second. It
1: looks looks to me like, obviously, anyone can look this up for themselves after the fact. But it looks to me like Smith and Tuck have uh, swapped spots a couple times. So Tuck has been playing on the second line uh, a little bit. And Smith has been playing on the first line a little
0: bit. Okay. And, but Brandon Peary has been playing on a line with Paul Stasny and Riley Smith for the most part, which is a really great spot. Probably doesn't last when Max Pacioretty comes back, but still Brandon Peary's this guy who every single time I want to sort the players in free agency in my league by like average points in last season, he's always the top. Cause I think he played like one game and scored two goals. Maybe he had two games like, and now he's doing it again this year. He's probably going to get sent back to the minors. He's once again, for this year, going to be the guy with the best average points fantasy points per game because this guy is clearly a goal scorer and by the way brandon Peary doesn't just get lucky when he comes to the nhl he's so far in the minors this year for the chicago wolves of the ahl he's got 17 goals and 41 points in 28 games which is insane last year at 52 points in 57 games why hasn't brandon Peary been able to crack the vegas lineup like i'm curious do you think he's going to stick around when patch returns like he seems pretty good
1: this is like our bi tri- biennial or triennial Brandon Peary hype segment. Like, this happens with Peary a lot. This is his ninth season in the league. Vegas is his fifth team. And with every team he's played for along the way, including the team that drafted him, Chicago, and then Florida, and then the Rangers, and then Anaheim, and now Vegas, we've always had this, maybe this is the right place moment with him, where, like, he can finally get the deployment he needs to be a productive NHLer. He's generally been a half decent NHL player over the course of his career, and uh, he's rarely gotten consistently good deployment. And I, I don't know why that is. I mean, it, obviously, like he's never sticking with any roster. Uh, case in point, Peary had three goals in two games with Vegas last season but that's all the action he saw. So it's lovely that they're giving him a third game this year after he scored three goals in two games again for them. I would love to see with Brent what Brandon Peary could do with steady deployment on a second line. I also just can't be certain uh, Peary won't just lose that spot for the same reason, whatever it is, that he's lost roster spots his entire career. He's almost like a modern-day Jason Doig
0: okay I I don't get the reference I don't
1: throwback AHL reference this guy was like tearing or Denny Hamel like these guys tore up the AHL for their whole careers but they never got a fair NHL look although I don't think either of them ever got quite as many NHL looks as Brandon Peary has gotten so we'll see if he can take advantage of it this time like he he just hasn't been like a, a sticky guy someone who can hang on to a roster spot
0: yeah, maybe he's like really good at scoring goals but bad defensively or something like that. Uh, and yeah, so the, it is interesting what Vegas is doing with their lines. It looks like they are experimenting with taking Riley Smith off the top line and putting Alex Tuck there instead to play with Marsha So and William Carlson. I assume it's not worth digging too much into the Vegas lines just because Patrick Reddy will return and things will get switched up again. But so regardless, we should point out Alex Tuck's assist yesterday brought him to 26 points in 30 games on the season. That is a 70 point pace for those keeping score at home. So this Alex Tuck seems like, I don't know, we'll see. Like, there's still a lot of season to go, but this guy seems to be for real. He's getting great deployment, taking advantage of it. Sometimes he's on the top power play, sometimes he's not. So sometimes that's good. That's going to be something that's going to really determine. I don't see a non top power play guy with everyone healthy being able to get 70 points on the year or a 70 point pace in Tuck's case because obviously he won't get 70 points because he was injured for a while. But yeah, this guy is for real, should be owned in all leagues. Not even worth discussing him, I don't think. Uh, we can quickly discuss discuss the defense situation. Colin Miller's missed now three games after being out again today. I guess if you've held Shea Theodore, you might as well continue to hold him until Colin Miller will be back. Uh, Theodore had nine shots in his last two games with Colin Miller out. He was getting top power play time, though, you know, like I don't really know if Shea Theodore is that good. Like even he's kind of like Dennis Chalowski right now, like even getting the top power play time. It's not like he's doing too much with it. And then you've got someone like Nate Schmidt, Brian, who after his two three point games in the last couple of weeks, he's now at the same half point per game pace as Shea Theodore is at. Who would you want between these two actually moving forward? Like assuming Colin Miller comes back, Colin Miller gets back on the top power play. Theodore or Nate Schmidt, maybe both play on the second power play as Vegas sometimes does. Like who do you like better between these two guys as a defenseman to own? Especially like a bangers league, you know, because Nate Schmidt gives a I think a little bit better peripherals, but you'd assume Shea Theodore should give you more points. So Nate Schmidt has had a couple of these outbursts recently and is up to nine points in eighteen games.
1: Yeah, so there's no straightforward answer here. It totally depends on the weights of your categories and what your team needs, really. Like if a couple blocks and hits are going to put you over the top week to week, you want Nate Schmidt if he's going to be the one turning categories. If you're desperate for points and you want someone with better uh, scoring upside, then Shea Theodore is the guy you'd prefer. Um, yeah, Schmidt, of course, has, has a better chance at filling categories without scoring points, so you just have to decide which profile of player is going to make the bigger difference for your roster and then add either Theodore or Schmidt accordingly
0: yeah I mean you say it I obviously that's the that's the answer there but the thing is I don't know if Nate Schmidt is so like like I said he's up to the same point per game pace as Shea Theodore is right now so do you think that's unsustainable I
1: don't think it's like incredibly sustainable like also because I think Theodore could do better like he, he's lost his deployment which he could get back so I don't know that either one's point paces really tell their story although Nate Schmidt is a decent guy to to look for 35 points from while putting up a bunch of peripherals
0: yeah. So keep your eye on him. And if he's in free agency, you need a defenseman. Maybe you could do worse. Uh okay, one more injury. Let's talk about Matt Dumba, who's has a very disappointing prognosis, unfortunately. Unlike Max Pacioretty, Matt Dumba is gonna have surgery for an upper body injury next week. And so I guess he's gonna be out long term. Hopefully he comes back at some point this season. Dumba had actually slowed down a bit lately after his hot start, but still having a great season overall. Twenty two points in thirty two games. That's a fifty six point pace. We all recall that Dumba had 50 points last year when we were talking about that. As like, oh man, well he be able to repeat that and he was well on his way to beat that pace though I guess it would have depended how long this cold streak would have gone for so okay so Dumba's out got to imagine this will benefit Jared Spurgeon right he's been seeing an uptick in ice time a good amount of power play time in Dumba's absence including over four minutes of power play time which is 68 percent of his team's power play time yesterday versus Dallas that said Jared Spurgeon is pointless in four games so I'll bet that he could be bought cheap right now or grabbed out of free agency in a lot of leagues I'm curious to know Brian what would you recommend peep? People jump on Jared Spurgeon if they can. He has 19 points in 35 games on the season. That's a 45-point pace. Last year, he paced for 50. Would you expect somewhere between these two numbers moving forward? And as far as these last four games go, by the way, like uh, Minnesota has only scored three goals in these last four games. There haven't been a lot of points to go around. So I wouldn't get too... Con- or maybe you tell me if I'm wrong. Maybe like Matt Dumba being injured means that this team is not going to score as many goals moving forward. But yeah, the whole team's not scoring. So obviously that includes Jared Spurgeon, but I really like a spot right now. And I feel like you could get him in a lot of leagues.
1: First, let's just acknowledge how dumb it is that Dumba is out because he decided to fight. Why? Why do that? Ruining Come on. everybody. Ruin your, ruining your own season and everybody who depends on you but it's more the, the, the former that irks me like why and your team you re- anyway uh Jared Spurgeon absolutely go for him uh the the fact that he's gotten a 45 point pace with the deployment he's had is fantastic and has also looked sustainable so uh, likely a greater role for him now that Dumba's out which means Spurgeon has a shot to get back on track with a 50 point pace that he carried for much of last season uh maybe even a little better than that
0: Brian by the way our uh Aya Follow Kovalchuk discussion just got a little trickier. I Follow just scored assisted by Ilya Kovalchuk. So oh, no. <laughs> we don't... Which I don't even know how. Are they playing together now? Oh, man, I love these. I, I, this is, I, we're not getting paid, by the way, to promote Dobber. It's just like a fun uh, partnership that we have where we promote them and they promote us. But it looks like the lines have been Dustin Brown, I follow, and Kopitar still. And then Kovalchuk playing with Leipzig and Nate Thompson today. So nothing's changed, but I guess Kovalchuk, just like how Riley Smith assisted on that Jonathan Marshall goal, I guess. Things are a little bit more fluid in hockey. This is no baseball where everyone has a set position. It's a fat, the fastest game on earth. Am I right, Brian? <laughs> yes,
1: thank you, 90s NHL marketing <laughs> campaign.
0: Uh, another guy in Minnesota, I'll bring up, Zach Parisi, is in his first big slump of the season. I saw in Roto World, it was like Parisi in his first slump of the year as he's pointless in four games. But again, Minnesota's only scored three goals in these past four games. So I feel like people shouldn't be concerned. And if you could buy low on Zach Parisi, he's still someone... I'm excited about. Unless you're going to tell me, like I said, for Spurgeon, that you're like concerned that Dumba being gone is actually going to contribute to Minnesota scoring a lot fewer goals moving forward.
1: Uh... Yeah, like Dumbo plays a big part in Minnesota's offense for sure, uh, but I don't think such a big part that it's going to kill Parisi's production or that's like the primary reason why for Parisi individually. Parisi, for his part, still has 13 shots over his last four games, and we knew that there would be reg- some regression to come at some point, so hopefully Parisi's just getting all that out of the way in one go and then can get back to being a steady 60-point player the rest of the season.
0: Okay. And Brian, let's finish off the show with some line changes, hot streaks, cold streaks. Uh, so far, we've been doing injuries and outjuries and sprinkling those <laughs> other things in along the way. Uh, we got to talk about Edmonton, right? I was all excited last week about Alex chia or Chia-san killing it <laughs> on the top line last week. So of course, Ken Hitchcock had to shift things around yesterday and he ended up putting Ryan Nugent Hopkins back on the top line with McDavid dropped Dreisaitl to line two and then also dropped Shaysan to play with Dreisaitl and Jesse Puliarvi got the third spot on that top line, the third wheel spot as you're trying to coin. Uh, Puliarvi, who also scored on Tuesday by the way versus St. Louis, he assisted on the Ryan Nugent Hopkins goal that opened the game, opened the scoring of the game in the 6-3 loss to Tampa yesterday. But then apparently I saw on Rotoworld again that midway through Puliarvi got dropped down to the third line and Shaysan got back with McDavid, but Ryan Nugent Hopkins skated on the top line. So all this just tells me that there's going to be more line shuffling and i'll be very curious to see now that you know hitchcock's going to have his like christmas dinner he's going to have a lot of time to sit and reflect on his life and maybe he'll come up with all new fun lines for us to look at come thursday so hard to recommend like i was going to go into this episode after i saw that puliarvi was going to the top line i was gonna be like brian should people be rushing to grab jesse puliarvi now it seems like probably not right since there's no guarantee that he's going to be on the top line there has been like words written about how hitchcock (laughs) likes puliarvi and he apparently wants to give him a chance and thinks he could be good. I don't know what you're laughing at me for, but I'm curious to know what's your take on this top line situation. If there's any fantasy impacts that people need to be rushing to uh, address.
1: I just like the way you framed it. There have been words written just as there have been words said, uh, like a lot of, look, but, but then you followed up with like, it was a substantial Ken Hitchcock quote or, or feeling about Ken. Anyway, we could talk about this till the cows come home, which is why I was laughing. Uh, the, my Point is essentially the same. I feel like I said the exact same thing last episode, cows come home, Uh, but I feel the same way. I don't know who is going to be on the top line in Edmonton. All I know is that you want that guy. Uh, And at the moment, I have no idea who has the upper hand. It would be like, I still don't even know what the Oilers have done with Pooley development. Like have they kept him out of a starring role too long or have they not put in the, the right amount of time developing him? Like I am so lost. on on where Poole is in his development trajectory and like how Edmonton has handled him and how that affects whether he's ready to play on a line with McDavid for extended time or not Uh, I would love to see him up there just because I feel like he's an exciting player who I'd love to see uh, just what he can do and uh, beyond that I can't really say I have any insight as to who is going to be the third wheel on the top line
0: Yeah, or even the second wheel, because it was Dreisaitl, even though you can't call Dreisaitl or Ryan Nugent Hopkins the second wheel, both really great players. And Nugent Hopkins has been great even off that top line. Like, all this time that Nugent Hopkins has been bumped, he's still getting points. I'm starting to regret, uh, as I've been called out in the chat room here, I am starting to regret having traded him for Ricard Raquel back when he got bumped from the top line. Though, I mean, to be fair, Raquel being injured is not exactly something I could have projected. But uh, we'll see what happens when he's healthy and for the second half of the year uh what are we oh what was i gonna say oh yeah chia san by the way still held a spot on the top power play He actually scored a power play goal yesterday and with the fact that he apparently got back on the top line at some point i wouldn't be dropping him just yet if you have alex chase on at least wait till the line combos come out because i feel like he's still the front runner to be on the top line or at least the top power play come the next line combos when they come out i guess wednesday or whenever uh another line combination change that i wanted to point out is the montreal canadians decided to make some changes recently andrew shaw had been on the top line with drew and domi for a long time time and he's having such a great season but he's been bumped he was bumped for leckanen on thursday and then paul byron took that spot yesterday and paul byron responded with his second goal in two games If Paul Byron sticks on that top line, I've got to imagine he's worth grabbing for next week's The Habs play Friday, Saturday. And again, like I said before, like there's very few teams playing on Friday. So, you know, if you have a guy playing on Thursday that's just going to be on your bench, you might want to consider dropping him for someone like Paul Byron, who's had a decent enough season himself. And he's really great, especially for league counts peripherals. Like he's actually really good for blocks. He gets like a block per game and two hits per game. And if he's going to be playing on a line with Druin and Domi, I think there's a decent chance that he's going to get you a point on that Friday. I'm into Paul Byron as like the stream of the week right now and then maybe you end up holding on like people who had Andrew Shaw were loving him and thinking maybe he would be a guy to hold all season it's kind of a bummer that after this amazing season he's now been relegated not even to the second line not playing with Gallagher but the third line playing with Lekkinen and Kotkaniemi he now only has one assist in his last four games after that amazing run like Andrew Shaw had eight goals and 10 assists in his previous 18 games before this last four games so Brian what do you recommend for people if they have Andrew Shaw is it time to just forget about him and let go because he's been bumped from the top line Do you say thank you next and move on Or do you wait and see what happens after the holiday break? Maybe something will change. And I guess also give us your thoughts on Paul Byron, if you'd be so kind.
1: It comes down to how patient you can afford to be, depending on where your team is in the standings, right? If you can afford a week or two of Andrew Shaw not playing on the top line, just in the hope that he gets back up there and the chemistry comes back and he continues putting up points. Like we pointed out how uh, his production, Andrew Shaw's, was unsustainable on the top line, but it was still better than... Like, you know, maybe several of your best free agent possibilities. So I think that's what it comes down to uh, how much you can afford. To, to hang with him on your roster while you wait to see how the situation plays out. In the meantime, you might want Paul Byron, but again, we talked about unsustainability on that top line in Montreal. And so it's great that Paul Byron's there, but of course, it's not like being the third man on the top line in Edmonton or even the top line in LA necessarily, although I might catch some heat for saying that. Um, so, you know, you want a top line player, uh, but is paul By- like consider the other free agent options like neither Byron, like byron top line okay shaw top line okay uh neither one knocks my socks off especially if they're not on the top line
0: sure fair enough though i do like paul byron in your multi-category leagues if he's gonna be on the top line he will likely help you even if he doesn't get a point plus that friday that might make you want to get the montreal guy over the Li la guy just for that game because he'll be on that top line who else should we talk about here, Brian? How about Braden Shen? Because everyone seems to want to talk about Braden Shen on our Facebook group. Everyone's asking, should I drop him? What do I do with this guy? We get tweets about Brayden Shen. Uh, so let's answer everyone's questions today, which obviously we won't be able to do. Because how are you supposed to predict these guys? Like, he hasn't even been that bad lately. He has eight points in his last nine games though three of those assists came all in one game against Edmonton. Overall, he only has 22 points in 30 games on the season, which is a 60-point pace, which is not bad, but it's not the 70 points he had last year. You mentioned before how Vladimir Tarasenko is slumping, and so Braden Shen has recently gotten back playing with Tarasenko and Jaden Schwartz, which was that really hot line to start last season, so you'd think that's a reason to think he'll be good. Shen has also been on the top power play recently, playing with Tarasenko and Schwartz and Ryan O'Reilly, and of course, our friend Vince Dunn. At least that's what they were rolling out yesterday in the 3-1 win over Calgary think since they won they're probably not going to change things up we had a patron brad who dropped brayden shen recently for brian rust which you know it's one of those moves where obviously his first streaming spot hold rust for as long as he can and brad had an issue where he had too many centers so but just to say the types of guys that people are starting to think of dropping shen for what's your take on this brayden shen is he going to have a 60 point pace the rest of the way potentially less potentially more where would you land on him right now
1: Uh, A 60-point pace on the whole is where I land on Braden Shen. He's actually been really steady on the whole compared to last year in his rate stats. So you might say, Brian, don't you know he got 70 points last year? And I'll say, listener, the main story uh, behind why I think Braden Shen is going to have 60 instead of 70 this year is that he is down 90 seconds of ice time on average per game at 5-on-5 and down 40 seconds on average of ice time per game on the power play And that's kind of a big deal. Shen saw a career high 19 minutes and 44 seconds of average time on ice last year. And that was a big reason why he was able to exceed so many expectations and get all the way up to 70 points. With Shen getting less time though, of course, there's less opportunity to get all the way there. So yeah, I think we can pretty much call a spade a spade here. Shen is on a 60 point pace. Everything looks reasonably sustainable. So that's probably where he's going to stay unless... That top line can finally get super hot with him on it. And that leads him to getting uh, points on more goals and also more usage. But without seeing that happening, I'm not getting too excited about him uh, being more than a 60-point player. But the upside remains.
0: Yeah, the upside remains. But maybe the downside remains. But it seems like you're saying that you think 60 points is pretty much a sure thing. And then you're just saying the upside remains. But you're not too concerned about him potentially being like a 50-point player, right?
1: No, I think 60 points is a fair representation of what he's been able to offer while being shuffled around the lineup and while being on a team that struggles to score goals. So I'm, I'm happy to stick with him there.
0: All right. So people don't don't be so concerned. Brian says you're fine. At least a 60 point guy you usually can't do much better than that out of free agency uh since we're on st louis vince dunn had an assist yesterday it was his fifth in his last six games so none of them on the power play which actually i see is pretty promising because you'd expect him to get some power places playing on that top unit that is a star-studded top unit that maybe doesn't produce as much as you'd expect them to so yeah don't forget about vince dunn he was looking like a guy worth owning earlier in the year then he went totally cold but now he seems to be heating up a little bit so if you need a defenseman maybe you could do worse and brian maybe quickly any advice for the tarasenko owners you already went through how badly he's been doing people who draft and we're expecting a 70 plus point guy. Instead, they have someone who, after going pointless yesterday, is at 22 points in 34 games, which is a 53 point pace. Oh. Should people, like, just if they have him, do you sell while he still has name recognition? Or do you expect him to get back to the paces we've seen over the past few years?
1: If it were me, uh, I- I'm selling on Vladimir Tarasenko if there's someone who really believes he can get back to form and won't buy too low for me on him. A couple sad trends from last year that seemed unsustainable have continued into this year and that's Tarasenko having a low on ice shooting percentage on the power play and also a low five on five IPP just because they're carrying over from last year uh, doesn't mean I expect them to stay down in the dumps where they are like if regression uh, happens which we expect it to we have no reason not to this is just an extended run of bad luck for Tarasenko and that he can expect a points bounce back there but there are a couple of new trends that add to the misery of the old unto. Sustainable ones continuing uh first off tarasenko's shooting like less than six percent at five on five which is only about half his usual conversion rate in prior rears in prior years so tarasenko has just five goals on 84 five on five shots uh, and he'd have closer to 10 goals on those 84 shots if things were going as usual there the weird part is that tarasenko's even strength Uh, expected goals for per 60 like his personal number is actually the highest it's been in the last four years so hopefully uh, that can all turn around and like he's just getting smashed by percentages um another thing that Tarasenko is going to have to work harder himself to do that we can't just wait for regression to naturally turn around and take its course is uh his shot race he has a fewer even strength shot attempts for 60 minutes in in past years, but like not to the point that he should be having a 53 point season or honestly, even like a 60 or 65 point season, he should still be okay. I'm keeping the faith to some extent, but I also wonder if St. Louis uh, has been doing the right thing as a team with their coaching change. You've had Mike Yao fired, Craig Berube come in and, and not a whole lot seems to have changed or, or improved. Uh, from coach to coach. Um, so if I'm a Tarasenko owner, I'm probably seeing what kind of return I could get. The thing is that I'd love to get a top line top power play guy uh, that I can count on for 70 points. I just don't know if anyone's going to give you that if you're a Tarasenko owner. Like you're going to have to take a bigger hit than that. Um, so I guess to sort of contradict my the way I opened this answer, I'm not going to sell Tarasenko for, for cheap but I will give up, say, 5 or 10 points off of my preseason projection if I can get a little more certainty in
0: return. All right, Brian, I'll throw out a name here to you, okay? Would you trade Vladimir Tarasenko for Jake Gensel, who has 33 points in 36 games at this point? Not top power play, but playing with Crosby. Has been doing good all year there. Really consistent. I feel like a Tarasenko owner can probably get Gensel because you'd imagine Tarasenko has higher upside. But Gensel's been fantastic. What's your gut say?
1: Huh. <sighs> My gut is that I would want to do that. Gensel's doing pretty well. Uh, I don't see like any massive unsustainability. Uh, his on-ice shooting percentage is a little high. I don't love that he's not on the top power play. Man, like Tarasenko still remains I think the guy with a higher ceiling. It's just a matter of how lost is this season for St. Louis. That's a really good one, Elon. I think I try and get Gensel and then maybe I can get a little sweetener because whoever's trading Gensel probably is like, oh, Gensel only had 48 points last year. I'm getting a really good deal here.
0: Yeah, so this is maybe the area of player you're thinking of if you're thinking of trying to sell Tarasenko. Don't go too much lower than that because he does have the upside, like you said. Uh, we mentioned uh, Corey Crawford's concussion last week, which is, of course, very sad news, and I hope he'll be okay. Uh, I wanted to point out that Cam Ward has really stepped up. He stopped 30 of 31 in a 2-1 win over Nashville on Tuesday, and then he stopped 26 of 28 in a 5-2 win over Dallas on Thursday. Look at that! That's two yeah. wins in a row for Chicago. And but
1: two- I'm going I'm going to interrupt you because to to just to keep. Keep things up to date. Uh, today, he gave up five goals on 26 shots Did against uh, at home against Florida.
0: Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, he is Cam Ward at the end of the day. Uh, but it does seem like Chicago could win some games. It seems like Cam Ward, that's like classic Cam Ward, right? Like he has some good games and then he totally blows you up. So I feel like in a league where you're counting your save percentages and your goals against average, that's going to sting. But Brian, in our uh, joint league where it only counts goalie wins and saves, you just care about if they win or not. I think we might have blown it by not grabbing Cam Ward when we had the chance last Sunday. But well, wait, like do you think that Chicago can win some games? Or do you think that was just a couple lucky two games? And now today's getting destroyed by Florida is a lot more representative of what we should expect going forward.
1: I think the latter. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Cam Ward is actually, like, he's actually, to give him credit, he's actually having a good season. Like this is probably his best season since like 2011, 2012. And he's actually outplaying his five on five expected save percentage to the same extent that Casey DeSmith Has been, And I've been like, I was all over Casey DeSmith earlier in this episode, but Cam Ward, we have obviously more of a history with, and I don't know that I have a whole lot of confidence that he can keep it up, especially uh, behind a pretty uh, still thin Chicago decor and a rookie coach who might like might be a good coach. I don't know, but usually a rookie coach on a team like the way Chicago is not contending uh, wants to try a whole bunch of different things that could have an adverse effect on a goalie.
0: Yeah, I heard a rumor that uh, Cam Ward wasn't even going to play today. That's why I wasn't looking to see how he did today. I thought that Delia, I believe yeah, that's his
1: name. So did I. Now um, it seems like he should get
0: the next one. You'd think so. Yeah, we'll see what Chicago has in him. I also wanted to bring up Eric Gustafsson, who's been like pretty great this season. We brought him up at the start of the year as someone that you might want to own on Chicago if you want to get that top power play defense. And He has been the top power play D-man. It's been a bit of a rough road. A lot of people have taken their turn running that top power play and Gustafsson even got healthy scratched a couple weeks ago but overall like going into today he had three goals and two assists in his previous five games getting big minutes top power play 18 points in 35 games going into today he didn't get anything today it was like a minus three so if you have plus minus maybe that's something to be concerned about but we're looking at a guy who's on a 40 point pace right now I kind of am seeing Eric Gustafsson as maybe another Neil Pionk. Like if you didn't grab Neil Pionk when you had the chance earlier in the season and you're kind of regretting it, then I feel like now's your chance to make up for it by grabbing Eric Gustafsson, a guy who we weren't really expecting to get top power play time to start the year, but he seems to be getting it. And there may be some ups and downs, but it seems like a solid bet for like around a 40 point pace moving forward. Unless you want to disagree with me, Brian.
1: I mean, 40 points is is OK. I think I'd rather put him closer to 35 points. Gustav, to his credit, has seven goals in his last 14 games uh, and four assists. Uh, those seven goals have come on 24 shots. A couple of those goals came on the power play where, where you know, each shot has a higher likelihood of going in generally. Um, but he's still shooting 29% over this run he's on and that can't last so yeah that's why I think he's probably like I'll say 35 to 40 point guy which I think does paint a different picture than if we say a 40 point guy especially when you factor in the possibility that Gustafsson gets shuffled off the top power play unit again at some point although the new coach uh, seems less inclined to do that than Joel Quenville had been um, which may be something to consider here or I'm just reading that wrong and Jeremy Colleton Uh, also just is going to play around with who gets on the top unit. But it's been Gustafsson for a good stretch of like six, seven games now. Not Colton's entire tenure, but I wonder if uh, if he can hold the spot. I I don't think quite Pionk levels, Elon, but he's probably a good free agent defenseman uh, that'll last you at least, uh, well, could last you a little while.
0: Yeah, I mean, we were saying the same thing about Pionk, right? That You were saying, like, I don't know if he's going to stick on the top power play. Shattenkirk is there. He's probably going to get, you know, and now it's like, well, obviously Shattenkirk's injured. But regardless, it was looking like Pionk really secured that job. I don't know. I see it. But you could be right, though. You you throw out a 35-point defenseman. That's what you said about Nate Schmidt. I feel like uh, Eric Gustafson has higher offensive potential than Nate Schmidt.
1: Yeah, there's greater upside there for sure.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. I'd say 40 is fine. That's what he's doing so far. and it's, uh, Okay, uh, we'll see. Yeah, I like him. If you need a defenseman, some leagues it's really hard to find a defenseman, especially a top power play defenseman, so he might be the only one available to you. Uh, let's get some goalie talk out of the way now. We had a new patron, Mikey, who asked us, hey guys, how about Thomas Grice and Jacob Markstrom? How will they fare rest of season and their potential as a third goalie in fantasy? Cheers. Have a great weekend. Well, thank you very much, Mikey. Yeah, that's a perk of being a patron Keeping Carlson. I post that we're going to do the show every week, and then I take questions, and then we try to bring them up on the show to make sure we cover the players that you want. So just one of the many perks you get, and you can check them all out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. So Brian, Thomas Grice, we actually haven't looked in on the Islanders' goaltending situation in a long while. I feel like kind of now like we've let people down because we were talking about it so much at the start of the year, and it's been very interesting and exciting, and we just haven't brought it up. So, what's going on with Grice and Leonard? First of all, they're both having really good seasons. Grice has a 920 save percentage in 22 games. Leonard, not far behind, a 917 save percentage in 15 games. Only five wins, though. So, Leonard's getting some bad luck, but seems like he's playing pretty well. And keep in mind, these are numbers that are well above league average. Isn't the league average around like 905 save percentage or something this year? Like, oh, there's been a lot more goals this year, and goalies are doing badly. And Grice and Leonard are both looking really good regardless. Uh, As far as what's going on lately in terms of who's going to get more starts moving forward, Thomas Grice got four games in a row at the start of December. Then Leonard got a couple both tough losses where he played well with the team loss so i don't know how much you know stock goes into oh, if we lost and we need to change the goalie or if they just look at how good he played uh grice then played two games then they both got one each this past week and leonard is playing today again maybe maybe i'm getting too granular now but leonard is playing against dallas and they're done two periods and the score is 1-1 and uh, i'm not getting stats here of how leonard's doing but obviously he's not doing too badly if he's only let in one goal so far uh, so yeah, it's kind of seems like Grice is getting more starts overall, but not by so, so much. So it looks to me like this is like a 1A, 1B situation and Grice is a good goalie to have. You're not going to get a, a super like high number of games out of him, but maybe like a uh, same situation as Halak right now.
1: Lehner has stopped 13 of 14 tonight, just to complete that stats info. And I think you've got it right, Elon, about the Islanders uh, goalie situation. Grice is 1A, Lehner is 1B. Uh, Grice has looked better than Lehner in terms of outperforming his expected, save percentage at even strength, but that shouldn't take much away from Robin Lehner. He's having a great season in his own right. Both, goalies, and this is something I did not expect to say this season, but both Grice and Leonard have benefited from the Isles defense. They figured out how to play defense this year, not like one of the best in the league. But last year, the Islanders were dead last in expected goals against per 60 minutes. This year, the Islanders are right in the middle of the pack. So that's a factor that we shouldn't overlook that's helping Grice and Lehner see the success they're seeing. Uh But yeah, uh, Gryce 1A, Laner 1B. That seems to be the way things are set and in my opinion should remain the rest of the way.
0: Yeah, but if you're in a league where all the starters are owned, probably you want to have Leonard because he's still going to get a decent number of games, maybe similar to the Colorado situation, which we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, Then we also had Mikey ask about Jacob Markstrom, who has worse numbers on overall on the season, a 908 save percentage, but he's the clear starter on the Canucks and is on a huge roll right now. He won six starts in a row before taking a tough one nothing loss to the Jets yesterday where he stopped 23 of 24 shots. Brian I'm we talked about this last week I think I'm into the Canucks being able to win some games just because of all of their superstars on their top line kind of like Colorado last year so that's going to be good for Jacob Markstrom I don't know if you're going to get as good you know overall rate stats than you would get with someone like Grice but I think as far as wins go I'd be willing to say that I think Markstrom will get more wins than Grice for the rest of the season just because he's going to play more games and I think you know Vancouver overall isn't going to lose too many more games than the Islanders what do you think about that?
1: I think I can agree with both of those takes, even though I think Vancouver is probably still not quite as good as the Islanders at this moment. Uh, you're right that the extra games might help Markstrom pull even in wins. Uh, you mentioned like the league average save percentage. Elon, do you know that 908 Markstrom save percentage is actually the league average save percentage right now? 908. The uh, last year it was 912 at the end of the season, the year before it was 913. Usually, the league average save percentage it starts low and then it you know climbs up and up through the season and comes close to recent averages but i also like i, I might be wrong about this but i feel like by this point of the season by the 30 game mark it's a little closer to previous year's numbers than it is this year, uh, down at 9.08 compared to last year's 9.12. So I'm wondering if we could be looking at the lowest league save percentage uh, since back in 2009-2010 when goalies combined for a 9.11. If anybody wants to... uh, uh, Well, no. No. Forget that. I was going to say... Oh, okay. I'm bagging myself into a corner. Just going to walk right out of it. Going back to Jacob Markstrom. um, Look... not only is he on the button for league average save percentage, he's also playing exactly the same as his expected save percentage at five on five, which makes Markstrom the most average goalie in the NHL, which is actually an improvement for him over last year. Um, So if I were choosing between Markstrom and Grice, I would actually prefer Grice for better numbers and, I think, like a better winning percentage. Uh, But you're right, Elon, that maybe Markstrom just playing more often, and he's probably going to face more shots against as well uh, that might be able to tilt the scales towards him.
0: Yeah, especially if your league count saves, obviously. Like, it's an interesting thing in general fantasy strategy. We're talking about your third goalie. So this is a guy where if it's a busy night in the NHL, that means that probably your other two goalies are going to be playing, and this guy's going to be on your bench. So you really maybe want to go with the goalie that maybe he's not going to play as many games, but just you're going to be more excited to play him when he does play. And so, if Brian, if you're saying Thomas Grice is going to be able to put up better numbers, then maybe he's the guy you want as your third goalie. But I think that I would still go Markstrom. I don't know. I just Also, I feel like Robin Leonard's, still has the potential to you know go on a run while like Markstrom is the for sure starter and i like the guaranteed starts from a goalie who's doing fine like you said league average which is very good that means half the league is worse and also uh you know the vancouver just seems like a team that can pull out some wins and give from some wins, maybe more than we expect going into the year. Uh, okay, so next, let's talk about a goalie who's struggling to produce for the first time since the season started. So a lot like Zach Parisi, who I was saying was doing great all season, finally slowing down. And now let's talk about a goalie that's doing the same thing after being one of the top guys going through October and November. Semyon Varlamov on Colorado has had a really rough go of it lately. He's let in six, five, three, four, and three goals in his last five starts. So he's letting in three-plus goals every single game. Two of those games he got pulled. Philip Grubauer has filled in for the last three games and he was great versus Montreal and against Chicago earlier in the week, but then got destroyed by Arizona yesterday. He only stopped 12 of 16 before getting pulled for a guy named Pavel Francouz so i don't even know who that is but apparently varlamov was sick so pavel frank was the next in line to get some minutes on colorado but i'm sure varlamov will be healthy next week though i guess with varlamov you never know maybe he's also sick and it's actually something more serious like you're thinking it is with craig anderson but what am i saying here so varlamov versus grubauer now seems like we might have a bit of a goalie controversy here like it seemed that after the first couple of months like varlamov was for sure the starter and grubauer was a decent backup but not someone that was going to steal starts at this point now are we like similar to the islander situation maybe even a bit closer to like a 50-50 split got to imagine people should be rushing to grab grubauer at this point if he's still available right like what do you think about grubauer versus Semin varlamov at this point in the season after varlamov has been struggling
1: oh i feel like by now i wish we'd had some clarity about which guy uh could take the lead in the colorado net but Uh, Nope, that's not where we are. Sadly, it feels like we're stuck at square one where neither goalie has like where we thought that both goalies might be good enough to keep pushing each other. Uh, With this recent Varlamov like semi collapse, it looks like the Colorado is like stuck between two cold ending options where one of them really should have paid off. So I'm not sure if anyone has the upper hand. I feel like uh, a little break over the beginning of this week might be good to just reset everything. And honestly, I, I am back at square one with this Colorado goaltending situation, except square one was with Varlamov holding like a slight upper upper hand being the incumbent. I wonder if that upper hand is gone and it's like totally 50, 50 uh, equal stock in each goalie from the team. And let's just see who can string together a few good games.
0: Yeah, so you might have some interesting decisions to make if you're in a league where there's these goalies in free agency. Maybe Carter Hart is out there. Maybe Grubauer is out there. And you've got some pros and cons. You've got to assume Grubauer has higher upside on what should be a better team. But Carter Hart might be a starter. But also Carter Hart might get sent down when Brian Elliott comes back. So, yeah, a lot of interesting goalie situations as there have been all season long since no one can be relied on. We thought Varlamov was looking like someone that could finally be relied upon. No, nope, not so much. Who knows who's going to be the next domino to fall the next goalie to go on a big slump. I guess who's left that has been good all season long. I guess Pecarine. Uh, John Gibson has been pretty much good all season so expect us to bring up one of those guys in the next few weeks as someone who's really slumping and wondering what's going on with them Uh, by the way Brian how bad should we be feeling for anyone who paid big to get William Nylander when the hype was at its peak when he signed I recall like I'm feeling pretty good about this because I said on my episode with Cam Robinson I think I've mentioned this to you since then everyone was talking about Nylander everyone was so excited this guy was going to come in and I was saying good time to sell high because uh, you know he's good he's not that great he's never had more than 70 points and so far he's like, exceeded my expectations in badness, if that makes sense. Like, he has not been good. He only has two assists in all of the 11 games that he's played, or what is this, eight games? What am I writing here? Ah, I I lost my spot. How about I'll just read what I wrote? He had two assists against Carolina back on the 11th, but that's all the production he's provided. And the Leafs have actually scored 18 goals in their last three games. And Nilander has provided a grand total of zero points and two shots in their last three games. That's before today. Let's see how Toronto did today. They're losing right now, four to three to Detroit. And Nilander has no points once again so yeah this is a disaster for anyone who was really excited to get him either in a trade or picked him out of free agency or probably drafted him and had him stashed in their ir up until the time when he finally signed because somehow yahoo made a mistake and allowed him to be stashed in ir and gave him the o even though i can't stash with eric carlson in my O. so anyways brian what are we doing with Nilander here he's been playing on the third line with kadri and connor brown not playing with austin matthews like people expected he's been getting little power play time he's only on the second unit Are we approaching snoozer territory here or would you be holding on for the rest of the season regardless, just because of the upside of him getting back with Matthews at some point and being good, being at least that 60 point guy that he was last year with upside for closer to 70? Like, would you say this is a buy low opportunity? Are you like rushing right now to send trade offers to the Nylander owners because you know you could get them for pennies? What's your general take on the situation? Because it is not looking good for Nylander right now.
1: So it's still too early, right, to to really dig into Nilander's numbers. As with anybody in their eighth or ninth game of the season, we're not reading too much into what's happening. Although I will say, like Nilander has yet to score on eleven shots at even strength, has a on-ice shooting percentage beneath four um, percent. That's hard for him. His rate stats are steady. So like early returns just look like eh, something's gonna happen for him eventually. The real thing is, though, is, is that there's only so much that Nylander is going to be able to do from the third line and second power play unit. Remember that the second power play unit in Toronto this season is very far from what the second quote unquote second or 1B power play unit that Nylander had been on last season. Um, this year for the Leafs, it's power play one or bust. For, for players, right? You're not going to collect a lot of points if you're not on that one main unit. There's nothing to say that Nilander can't take Nazem Kadri's spot on the top unit at some point, but until then, uh, playing with Marlowe, Andreas Janssen, uh, Tyler Ennis, and Jake Gardner on the second unit is not uh, such a fantastic place to be, and also at five on five playing on the third line, not a good place to be. Nelander's seeing two minutes less of time on ice per game at five on five on average, so is this him just working up into the system, paying some dues for having held out that he's got to pay for whatever reason? I don't know, but I do know that until his deployment rises, uh, I can't get excited about him. Nor can I really judge him terribly fairly and say, "Oh, he's a terrible player. He's not seventy points." Uh, we've got to see him in comparable deployment. So, if you're holding on to him, that's all you're waiting for, right? And we have to imagine it'll come at some point. the The, the problem for Nylander owners is that. The Leafs aren't about to have their hand forced like there's no reason to throw Nilander up on their top power player in their top six because they are uh, one of the top goal scoring teams in the league. And maybe they prefer him rounding out their third line and stepping in to a top six spot where he might not move the needle a whole lot just because of how high uh, the needle already is
0: yeah it's uh it's tricky. I agree with you, Brian. We can't recommend for people to drop Nilander at this point, but it's a really tricky hold. If I had him, I might consider selling to a Leafs fan who's like just assuming eventually he'll get back playing with Austin Matthews, like you said he probably will, but it's really hard to just hold and wait for it, and you might kill your you know be really mad at yourself later on when he does get back with Matthews and if he does well. But it's not a guarantee. And like you say, yeah, not a great situation. But also, we obviously can't say to drop him because there is that upside there. Very frustrating to people who drafted him and were expecting big things. A bunch of other players on the Leafs probably worth talking about. Like Maybe I can get you to do a quick ranking of all of the Leafs forwards, aside from the obvious, like Matthews, Marner, Tavares. Who are you liking? Who are you not? We got Nazem Kadri on that same third line as Nilander, but he's on the top power play. He's been hot lately. Six points in his last four games. He's doing great. Marlowe scored yesterday, bringing him to 20 points in 36 games. That's a 46-point pace, which is exactly where he's been for the previous three seasons. He's always around a 46-point pace. Do you have any reason to expect him to diverge from that? Or is he just going to continue to do what he's doing? Like He's probably not going to go super cold for long because he's playing with Austin Matthews at even strength but like you said with Nilander, he's not playing on the top power play so you can't expect too much more than like around a 40 to 45 50 point pace uh Kasperi Kapanen has really slowed down since Nilander returned uh for whatever reason Uh, he only has two points in his last seven games going into today but he's still playing with Matthews and Marlowe, so in a good spot Andreas Janssen was pointless in five games before breaking out for one goal and two assists from his line with Tavares and Marner uh yesterday and then the ki- and then Toronto also played today, which is always very tricky, Brian, we're recording a show on the same day that like things are happening in real time. But uh, Andreas Johnson has an assist today. Kapnan has a goal. Um, Matthews has an assist. Nilander, like I said, nothing. Tavares has an assist. Is there any other player noteworthy? Probably not. Nilander. So how would you rank all these guys in terms of who you'd want to have in your fantasy team right now? If any of them are in free agency, maybe people will be able to use this as advice for what to do. Cause Toronto is also one of those teams that doesn't only play Tuesday and- or Thursday, Saturday next week. So there might be some value in a stream
1: okay so ranking these leftover toronto forwards that aren't playing in the top six or well actually sorry some of them are playing in the top six at even strength uh so nazim kadri kadri was on a 43 point pace before he picked up six points in four games recently that you mentioned uh, honestly 43 point pace didn't seem so wrong like you know uh, we like kadri and respect what he can do but again from where he is in the lineup there's only so much he's capable of um honestly of this group of, of quote-unquote depth leafs forward I think we're looking at deployment upside where Andreas Janssen, I think, has everybody beat, though he also probably has close to the lowest downside, if not the lowest downside of the group as well. So, between Kadri, Marlowe, Kapanen, Janssen, and Nilander, uh, to some extent, you're managing risk and reward. Uh, like most leagues, I think, have Kadri and Marlowe types available in free agency. And so, if anybody's owning them in a league where there are other types like And you own them. You need to be streaming Kadri and Marlowe, And this is like a wake-up call just in case you hadn't realized how unremarkable their seasons had been until we're mentioning it now. Uh, If I'm ranking Kadri, Marlowe, Kapanen, Janssen, Nilander, I'm still going to go Nilander first. And then I'll go Andreas Janssen because of that fantastic even strength deployment. Then I'm going to go Nazem Kadri because he's currently on the top power play unit, even though I I expect, I don't know, at some point someone else will get a turn. Uh, Then I'll go Kapanen, and then I'll go Patrick Marlowe as being the person with the lowest ceiling.
0: Okay, fair enough. It's obviously hard to rank these guys. Interesting that you're really into Andreas Janssen. Maybe after a while, Zach Hyman will come back and we'll see how that affects... Uh Janssen's spot, but right now he's doing good And another point today. Like I said, I want to throw a couple defensemen at you just to get your confirmation that these guys are total snoozers. Uh, Mikhail Sergachev, he's doing nothing at all. Like I feel like he's still owned in a lot of Yahoo leagues, but I don't really see why. I feel like he we could probably say that he could be dropped in most formats. Like if you're Josh, if you have Josh Manson or Alex Goligoski available, I see Sergachev around those guys tampa scored six goals yesterday sergachev got it on none of them this was after being healthy scratched on thursday he only has 12 points in 36 games on the season giving him a 27 point pace curious to know if you have any reason to expect him to pick it up in 2019 for the rest of this season and then dennis Chalowski, like the red wings today it's 4-4 going into overtime Chalowski's on that top power plane doing absolutely nothing which is really frustrating for me as i streamed him in the couple and i was up by 40 points going into today and i'm up by like six points like i might lose my matchup and it would have been nice if Cholosky could give me a, an assist at some point this week, but he's doing nothing. Like, he's on the top power play with Larkin. You'd think he should be able to do something, doing nothing. So, I don't know. I wonder how long it is before he even gets bumped from the top power play and they go with someone else, even with Mike Green injured. Uh, so, yeah, those two defensemen, do you concur that Mikhail Sergachev and Denis Chalowski are snoozers, or do you see any reason to hold on?
1: So, I'll start with Cholowski, who, uh, yeah, despite being on the top power play unit, Uh, has not been doing much of anything in fact today he has no shots on goal going into overtime and has played only 14 minutes and 21 seconds which is the lowest of all Detroit defensemen and uh, that's been the theme, right? Chalewski has just one or one shot on goal. Now in six of his last eight, uh, he had zero shots. So in, in seven of his last eight, he had zero or one shots on goal. And his 14 minutes of ice today is, uh, is a trend. He played, uh, I think, about 15 minutes a game in the two games prior to this one, which is a, a sharp drop from the roughly 20 minutes that he had been averaging for a stretch before uh, this drop-off in ice time. And like the other night, he had five and a half minutes of power play time and nothing to show for it, not even more than a single shot on goal. So yeah, uh, it's worth an anti-jinx effort to see if we can get him going. I also streamed him in uh, at cost of dropping a couple guys and like, negotiating, like paying, spending some fab to re-add Andreas Janssen after I dropped him to help make an ad. Uh, yeah. So Cholosky has been disappointing. His even strength role has been really, really cut. So I, I wonder what's next for him. Uh, Mikhail Sergachev. I think he's got better times ahead in 2019. He has no goals on 65 shots this season. He could have three or four goals by now going by his usual percentages. Uh, He's got a low five-on-five IPP, um, so that's holding him back a little bit. Uh, The good news for him is he's up two minutes per game at five-on-five, so he's got more time to apply his trade. One thing that's interesting is that – This year, he's on pace for nine power play points. Last year, he somehow had 16 power play points. Uh, He had three goals on 26 shots with the man advantage, a 70% IPP. So I think we're seeing those numbers regress. But even if he just stays on pace for nine power play points and loses seven power play points uh, over last year, I think that Sergachev can probably still get up to about a 35, 40-point pace if things just begin breaking better for him, especially with that extra even strength deployment. But if you own him... I still think you can call him a snoozer. Like in most leagues, you can drop him without anybody rushing to go grab him. You can drop him and then wait list him if you're eager to get somebody else in your lineup.
0: Yeah, watch list you mean, right? Or is there a new list that you use called the wait list?
1: Oh um, my, do you know, since having, like I am messing up like confusing words so often, it's like a part of my brain has deteriorated. Deter- <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, let's let's finish (laughs) up the show, Brian. I want to go to Winnipeg. It's the kid's fault. Yeah, blame it all on the kid. That's the easiest thing to do. What about happen to see you? I wanted to to just mention him quickly. Do what you got to do, man. I was trying to, uh, you know, speed it up here. I appreciate
1: it. But I just wanted to point, like you rightfully pointed out that he's been really quiet. Uh, and the reason why, well, first off, his first 21 games, he had 11 goals, five assists for 16 points and 72 shots in 21 games uh, since then in his last 11, uh, not counting tonight. But uh, going into tonight, he had okay, no... Okay, right? i got
0: to interrupt you, because first of all, I didn't bring up Athanasiu. You. So you're saying... <laughs> you were like, going as, to. Yeah, but you're saying, like, as you said, second of all, he's injured right now. He's not playing tonight, Uh-oh. which is something I would have said, but I decided not to bring him up. But since <laughs> okay. you... Fought, I, let me just say, are you still into Athanasiu? Uh, he had that hot run around a month ago, but only two assists in his last eight games. is currently out with an upper body injury. Is he the type you'd recommend stashing in IR+, plus or can, if you can, or will he just be a fringe fantasy-owned regardless in most formats?
1: Well, it stinks that Athanasiu, after having 72 shots in 21 games, has followed that up with just 21 shots in 11 games. Maybe it's related to this injury that's kept him out of the lineup tonight. I don't know. Um, his minutes are also kind of in the tank Uh, he played 15 minutes a couple games ago then 12 and a half minutes last game so maybe hopefully this is injury helps explain it and he can have some time to heal and get back up to speed because something is different in his game compared to the first stretch of the season and the most recent 11 games so I'm still a believer but he needs to start putting pucks on net again
0: Well, hey, it sounds like you're describing Ilya Kovalchuk, right? Really good start. Then a bad 11 games, then an injury. Let's see if he gets two goals on his return, and then we can just say they're the same person and move on. Let's end the show in Winnipeg we had a couple requests to talk about both Nikolai Ehlers and Kyle Connor my question to you is Brian is there some rule in Winnipeg where only one is allowed to be hot at the same time Ehlers was doing nothing for so long he only had 10 points in his first 22 games but is now on fire with 17 points in his last 14 games including a hat trick versus the Sharks back on Thursday Ehlers has been playing on the top line with Shifley and Wheeler which is of course a very sweet spot to be he seems like he's totally made up for all of the slumping that he did earlier and anyone who dropped him is regretting it big time meanwhile Kyle Connor started the season with 24 points in his first 22 games was amazing but only has four points in his last 14 games he's totally disappeared he's been playing on the second line with line and little lately and he's on that star studded top power play but not doing anything Brian what's going on with these two guys and who do you like better between the two going forward if you could only have one are you more confident that Ehlers will slow down or that Kyle Connor will heat up
1: that's a really hard question that's a really hard question I don't know uh, is going to be my answer, but I'll talk it out and we'll see if I can come to an answer. First off, this is classic Nick Ehlers, right? He started the year with four points in 13 games. Everyone's like, I can't hold this guy anymore. I can't handle it. And nobody wanted to take a chance on buying low on him. And now after 40 points in 13 games to start the year, Ehlers is already on a 62 point pace. Like what a transformation, his 14 goals on his last 61 shots in this strong stretch. So scoring at a 23% conversion rate, including like, did you see that silly hat trick where he essentially got lucky on each of the three goals? Like it it was the most, it was probably one of the most comedic hat tricks ever scored. Um, So he's going to regress a little bit, but uh, like he is a player, he's getting great at least, even strength deployment, and uh, it's hard to think that he's going to slow down a whole lot from here. And then on the other end of the the, the spectrum, you've got Kyle Connor, and again, this is classic Kyle Connor. Um, he's on a near identical pace to Nick Ehlers, but on the reverse trajectory, where he started strong and now he's gone quiet. If I can remember from last season. He's going to be okay. Um, I see a couple reasons why I think so. His IBP is low, both at five on five and on the power play. Those should bounce back. um, So I wouldn't get frustrated and let him go. Although I know it's tempting. Just keep him on your bench for the busy nights. That's how you can uh, get that frustration. Take it out on him uh, in your lineup without letting him go completely. Uh, If I had to pick one, Elon, I think I'm going to go Kyle Connor for top power play deployment who would you go
0: i mean it's really hard to say ehlers who's uh, on fire and like take kyle connor instead of him who's doing nothing but i guess that's what makes you a uh, fantasy hockey robot you're able to take the emotion out of it and just go with who you think's gonna be better moving forward regardless and yeah i mean there's no reason why but the thing is also like Nikolai ehlers is playing with shifley and wheeler that used to be kyle connor's spot they flipped it was before ehlers playing with line a. so i wonder if that has something to do with it uh it's really tough probably not a decision anyone has to make but you're saying both of them are probably worth holding and well definitely worth holding and kyle connor <laughs> (laughs) you expect him to bounce back and uh i don't know i don't i don't have a good choice for this one i think i would say ehlers just because i'm more of like i'd rather have the guy on the hot streak like kyle connor slumping who knows if maybe he gets taught a lesson gets bumped onto the third line and maybe like someone like matthew perot finally gets a chance to get back into the top six like this guy was on fire for such a long stretch he had nine points in 10 games before going pointless in his last two games of course it's hard to expect him to continue a run like that playing on the third line with roslovich and tanev but uh, we've got to give props to Matthew Perot, an early Keeping Carlson favorite, when we were first starting to do the podcast and he was on this great run. And who knows if Kyle Connor keeps slumping, maybe we're going to see more from Matthew Perot soon.
1: Yeah, he's not going to do a whole lot from line three, though. We know the the option is always there that he can move around in the top six. So you can keep an eye out for that, but uh, like a speculative ad at best.
0: Okay, and let's end the show. Brian, I got to ask you, since we're on Winnipeg, Josh Morrissey, how good is Josh Morrissey? Like he's pointless in his last two games, but he has 21 points in 34 games on the season. That is a 51 point pace. Is there any chance Josh Morrissey is a 50 point defenseman and he can keep this up? Is he the next Ryan Ellis, a guy who at least before didn't need a ton of power play time or at least top power play time in order to produce? Like this guy's on fire. Is it unsustainable? Or is he like now a new like superstar defenseman in the league or at least star defenseman?
1: Well, the difference between Josh Morrissey this year and every other year is that he finally, after picking up just three power play points in 164 career games before this season, has finally been given an opportunity on the power play. Remember when he was coming up, we thought that there was some offensive upside and that maybe one day he could run the power play. And I still think that possibility is there once Bufflin moves on uh, now Morrissey, in a power play two role for the first time in his career, has seven power play points in thirty four games he's already set a career high in power play time on ice like just to really emphasize that he finds himself in a new place like get really excited about that, but also. Uh, temperate was saying like seven points in 34 games is more than we should expect to continue for a second power play guy at the same time. So uh, that's why I'm not sure Morrissey is a 50 point player, but he is looking pretty sustainable in his five on five production, which has been, seen a small boost in the right direction for his shot on goal and shot attempt rates. So 50 points is a little rich for me. I'm actually going to stick closer to 40. But uh, he's looking he's looking good. He's looking like the heir apparent to Dustin Bufflin. If you're in like a dynasty or keeper and uh, like that's deep enough for you to make a move on him now, uh, make a
0: move on him now. Well, I mean, if you're saying that he's not going to keep up this 50 point pace, then you would think like you don't make a move on him now because the price would be too high.
1: Sure. But like, if it's a league where you're keeping like, like players just on the basis of one day, they'll work themselves into a good position. Josh Morrissey will one day quarterback the power play in Winnipeg if all goes according to plan
0: right so you're saying it might be worth even spending a bit to get him now just because of that upside in the future even if he slows down a bit this year okay lots to think about when you're in these dynasty leagues do you focus on winning now focus on winning later but we will have to talk about that on another day because we have come to the end of our planned content for this show thank you everyone for listening to this episode and to every episode in 2018 like i said or like brian said we're gonna try to get you some bonus content at some point in the next week no promises but if you're good then we'll try to give you something brian this has been so fun
1: It's been fun and I have a little stocking stuffer, a little content stocking stuffer for our listeners. I have, you said it's the end of our planned content. I have some unplanned content. Uh, First off, Dylan Strome, if you're looking for an ad, he had a great game tonight, two assists. Um, He is on the top power play unit in Chicago and he has been for the last four games. Uh, He has six shots in those four games, like still like not a slam dunk player, but in a deep league uh, getting great deployment. Uh, Good for him. I'm, Trying to see Elon. I don't know if you can figure out who he played with. I can. Uh, tonight. He played
0: with Patrick Kane and Artem Anisimov.
1: Okay, so that's pretty good to be playing with Patrick Kane. So uh, consider him. uh Alex Debrinket. I've got a couple of players now who like were sort of cold or questionable, and then got hot while I was on uh, on my parental leave. And so, like, I I just I'm sure you've discussed it, but Debrinket. Back on track while we're in Chicago, seven goals and seven assists for 14 points in 16 games. Uh, Probably not much you can do about it now, uh, but pat yourself on the back if you acquired him or uh, or hung on to him and weathered the storm. And then I also want to mention the Rasmai in Buffalo. Uh, Darlene has six points in his last six games, thanks to mostly a three point effort. Uh, like five games or six games ago. Um, The more exciting Rasmus in Buffalo, believe it or not, is Rasmus Ristelainen, who's now up to 15 points, two goals, 13 assists in his last 17 games and taking 51 shots in those 17 games too. uh, He has picked up a point in all but... Five of his last 17 games so way to go Rasmus Uh 20 points in his last 25 too even if you want to extend it a little further so uh that's it I just wanted to mention those names
0: okay thank you so much <laughs> Brian for that little bonus at the end of the show and as I was saying thank you everyone for tuning in all year long we really appreciate you patronizing our show as a listener and of course we especially appreciate our patrons who are helping keep the show going day in or week in week out and if you're interested in helping support us you can check out keepingcarlsoncom slash patron see how you can get into our patron only facebook group get our monthly patron cast get the other perks that we have show notes if you want to like browse through the notes you don't have time to listen right away we send the notes of all the players we talked about and what our opinions were so all those perks are all written up nicely for you over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron a five-star you on itunes obviously wouldn't hurt you could follow us on twitter also so those are all the things we're going to ask you for in this new year but aside from that brian how about we cue the outro music and you can go ahead and read us the credits
1: all right this episode of keeping carlson was presented by Dobra hockey and supported by our patrons powered by our patrons uh, it was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trick, Charting Hockey, ShiftChart.com, HockeyGoalies.org,
0: Hockey Reference,
1: Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects,
0: Roto World, and Yahoo! Yahoo! Brian, this was fun. Looking forward to seeing you soon in New York! for our patron meetup. You're going. I'm going. So if you're interested in coming, I guess uh, message us on the Facebook group. There's an event there or you can tweet at us and we'll give you the details. It's in Brooklyn on the 27th. I'll see you there, Brian.
1: Until then, keep on keeping carl Sun.